that um, that I could play. You know, hey, I, I had questions myself about how how I would be able to be able to perform in the NFL. And so for me, yeah, I, I just really wanted to be able to prove that I could compete. probably the most appreciated athlete in the history of Detroit and there's been some great athletes on you know I'm talking all sports his legend will be unmatched when he's done playing probably the only running back I would pay to see play had to stop what you were doing just to see what Barry's going to do because you know he was going to do something amazing. Now um, it gives more people more information, and and now they have uh, you know more dimension to uh, the story, and and. Uh, can... Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, 
to the latest podcast on our Legends of Sports. And today, we talk about one of the greatest running backs that ever played the game. Uh, in my opinion, he's only the second greatest I've seen in my in my 40, 45 years of watching the NFL. And that is the Oklahoma State legend, the Detroit Lions legend. You can make an argument. And Brett will my guest my guest host today, Brett from Michigan, will will be a better uh, expert on this than me. But you could make an, an argument that he's the greatest athlete ever to step on a Michigan playfield, whether it's college or pro, Detroit or otherwise. We're talking Barry Sanders, and I want to introduce my co-host for this episode, Brent. Brent, good afternoon on this. Uh, Horrible winter day in the Midwest and the East Coast, because even though we're not getting snow out here in New York City, where I reside, we're getting nonstop rain that will continue until Saturday morning. I mean, it's only Thursday afternoon at 3.30. So, uh, Brent, welcome to the show. Talk about uh, when you first became a football fan. Talk about when you first heard about Barry Sanders. And talk about uh, how you became a Detroit Lions fan, which should be easy. You, you in the state of you living in the state of Michigan, and your father, you've told me several times, was a Detroit Lions fan. But give us a quick background on your fandom, both with the Detroit Lions and Barry Sanders. Well, I've been watching the Lions probably since 1994. I, it's about the time I started watching football. My dad, like you said, has been a Lions fan for over 50 years, so I've heard a Damn. lot of stories. Mm-hmm. From all the old players, all the all the few great moments of this franchise, all the stumbling mistakes that they've made over the years. I came, when I started watching, you didn't notice this run, little running back from Oklahoma State that just, no way you could tackle, on his good day, there's no way you could tackle him. He was so agile, so quick. And basically the heart and soul of that team for so many years. And unfortunately, as we're going to talk about, they could never build a championship team around him and eventually ends up retiring before he was past his prime even. Yeah, uh, Barry was in his prime when he retired. He was only 31, 32 years old when he finally retired. We'll talk about that as we talk about the end of his of his career. But I want to fill in the blanks because Brent didn't become a Lions fan, didn't see Barry until 1994. I'll talk briefly about his college career and the first years of his pro football career with the Detroit Lions. Barry was an incredible running back, but Oklahoma State was so, so talented at that position that Barry didn't get to start until his junior year. His freshman and sophomore year, he was the backup running back to another all-time great Oklahoma State running back and pro football Hall of Famer. The legendary Thurman Thomas, who had what a great depth chart, <laughs> and, and, and talk about two running backs who suffered heartbreak throughout their entire incredible NFL careers, and you, you can't get no uh, two, you can't get more heartbreak that was suffered than by both Thurman Thomas with the Buffalo Bills and Barry Sanders with Detroit Lions. The Bills losing four consecutive Super Bowls with Thurman Thomas as their star. Running back, 
those teams were much better than any teams Barry Sanders ever played on. Uh, so Thurman Thomas leaves. Barry Sanders gets to play his uh, junior year in college at Oklahoma State, and he sets records left, right, center. He had arguably the greatest season any college football player ever played, never mind running back. Brandon, if I'm not mistaken, he had over 2,000 yards rushing, maybe I think 2,400 yards rushing. I, I don't know the exact. 28, God, and I know. That, it should have been 3,000. They didn't count his bowl game 222 yards. So, technically, he had a 3,000-yard rushing that, season. That 2,800 right? included the bowl game. I think he had 2,600 during the regular season. Okay, so because I don't think record-wise they counted the 222 yards. All right, so it was over 2,800 yards rushing in college, which was ridiculous. His oh. see, and, and before you people talk about, oh, but that's college. Oklahoma State was a big eight school. They're playing Oklahoma and Nebraska. They're playing all the powerhouses. This isn't uh, Murray State or Gonzaga, all right? Yep. This is He's Oklahoma. not playing too many Mac schools. No. They're, playing, they're playing powerhouse teams every week on national television, and Barry just ate everybody up. Third pick in the draft of... Wayne Wayne uh, Fontes, who you will talk about more throughout the episode, he did one thing right. He uh, told the Lions management, "No, do not draft." They were it was down to two Sanders, and you can make an argument these were the two greatest that ever played their position. That's Barry Sanders and mm-hmm. Deion Sanders. It was between those two guys that the Lions were going to draft. Wayne said, no, you have to take Barry. And he's right. You don't build a team around a cornerback. No, you never don't. have, never will. You draft a cornerback if it's something you need. But the Lions had gone through years of inferiority in the NFC. At the time, it was the NFC Central. Well, they had right. that stretch in between the time Billy Sims blew yep. his knee out in 84 up until they drafted Barry in 89, it was just awful. I mean, they were hot. Matter yeah. of fact, they're going through that same period, right? Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had a coach back then that was named during that dark period named Daryl Rogers. And he was, uh, he was a he great college coach. coach. State. He was a great college coach. Yep. Um, I'm doing this all. I always do these episodes off the top of my head. Wasn't he Kurt Gibson's coach at Michigan yes. State? Or, okay. All right. He was yep. an incredible college coach Kirk Gibson being one of the greatest athletes ever to come out of the state of Michigan the yes. man was a incredible football and baseball player in high school and college and yep. one of the greatest Detroit Tigers of all time he's in my top 10 I mean oh, he, and he was one of the greatest clutch hitters in the history of baseball hitting game-winning home runs in both the 84 and 88 World championship World Series teams with Detroit Tigers and Los Angeles Dodgers yes. so Rogers was a great college coach, but as we've seen, ninety <laughs> percent of the time, maybe more. I'm, I might, I might be, be, I might be, being a little bit too generous. We see other than Pete Carroll, not too many have been successful. As we've seen with the Jacksonville Jaguars this year, with that, with Oscar Meyer, uh, just <laughs> the dirty <'cause>, dancer. <laughs> <laughs> just because, and we saw it before with Nick Saban. 
Uh, only reason Barry Switzer won a Super Bowl is because he inherited a great team. Jimmy exactly. Johnson and Pete Carroll are probably two of the of the exceptions to the rule. Yep. Daryl Rogers, yeah. Rogers is best remembered probably in Detroit for a press conference towards the end of his run where he just threw up his hands and says, what's a guy got to do to get fired around here? It was that bad. And they 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 were they were horrible. So yep. because of the, because of that uh that oh real quick uh if you remember who were they oh then they draft up who's that quarterback they draft from Iowa that everybody thought was going to be the next great thing and Chuck Long a, oh God <laughs> my dad uh, thinks he was a great player too he just had nothing to work with look uh when they drafted him. Everybody was lauding the the him and and uh, and the Lions talking about oh this is the next Marino this is the next Montana. Yep. Now when they say you're the next Chuck Long, jump out of a window. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, he didn't have Billy because Billy had injured his knee earlier. He right. didn't have much to throw. He didn't have much of an offensive line. He got beat up, and his career took a different trajectory that everyone. Didn't expect to happen. Everybody expected, yeah. Everybody, he was considered the Detroit Lions' savior. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't get their, They didn't get their savior until 1989 when they drafted Barry Sanders. Uh, kudos to Wayne for convincing uh, Detroit management to draft Barry and not Dion. Because they were yeah, fortunate. I'd say they were fortunate in that draft because, uh, of course, Dallas picked Troy Aikman number one. Well, they had to pick a and quarterback. Then Green that Bay was a no, was that two. was a no brain. That was a no brainer. Yep. Yeah. Green Bay was number two. They went with a, a lineman from Michigan State, Tony Mandrich. So you could have had Barry way, Sanders uh, and Brett But Barber. you know what? That's the way the draft yep. experts expected it to go. They expected Mandrich and Aikman to go one and two. Yep. Uh, uh, they expected the Cowboys. I remember because I was going on twenty one at the time. The Cowboys were deliver were were, were uh, they weren't sure who to go. They were debating whether to take Aikman or Mandarich because you know you build your team around either quarterback or the offensive. Yes, you do. You're right. So, uh, they picked Aikman, and then Green Bay, who was also going through a similar st- man that NFC Central in the '80s from the time <laughs> Billy Sims retired. Until Far and Sanders later, Barry later on, that NFC Central was Minnesota, Chicago, and easy wins, god awful teams in Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Detroit. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God! Think for for today's fans of the NFL, it's the equivalent of the NFC East today. That's how bad. Matter that was of fact, horrible. NFC, <laughs> NFC East is probably. Worse today because at least in the central, the Vikings and the Bears every year were competitive. Yeah, uh, Chicago had their great defense, and then Minnesota had they had Anthony Carter, who the Lions probably should have signed years earlier. So yeah, it's that just, that, was, that that was a no brainer too. They should have went and got Anthony Carter, another Michigan cat. Yep, All right, Michigan so, Panther too. So yep, yep. So uh, they draft Barry Sanders because look, let let's be real. If they would have drafted Deion Sanders. Uh, I don't know if Dion would have had the career he had because uh, no. Dion, with the with the with, with, with the posse he was dealing with, hanging out in Detroit, <laughs> <laughs> hanging out in blue collar Detroit with all the factory workers. <laughs> I, oh, I, but you know he went to the right team. 
the the universe righted itself. Barry went to the team he was supposed to go to, and mm-hmm. Dion went to the team he was supposed to go to. Right off the top, 1989, Barry Sanders explodes, and already. Now, this comparison is made over and over again, and I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna dead it right now. Yes, Emmett Smith was a great player. In my opinion, Brent, Emmett Smith was not a pimple on Barry Sanders' ass. Flip, I agree. Flip I agree. the players, Brent. Put Barry Sanders on Dallas and put Emmett Smith on Detroit. If Emmett Smith won on Detroit, A, he's not in the Hall of Fame. B, he doesn't play four or five seasons because he gets the shit beat out of him. Yep. Number one, and, yeah, it, Emmett that, wouldn't have had a quarterback. Right. He didn't have and an, he off, wouldn't have an offensive line. He would have gotten the ball just as much as he did Dallas, but he would have gotten slaughtered. Yep. Dallas, you could make an argument that those three Super Bowl winning teams were the greatest offensive lines in the history of football, period. Emmett didn't have to go north north and south. All he, all he had to do was go straight up the line, one block, and he'll get you eight, nine, sometimes take it to the house. Big old Barry old had to dip. Barry had to dip, dodge, go 10 yards in the backfield, and <laughs> if Barry would have went to the Cowboys, they would have won more than three Super Bowls, in I my agree. opinion. All right? Yep. When you got Troy Aikman, Alvin Harper, Michael Irvin, that incredible defense with Charles Haley, uh, Ken Norton, you had an incredible, incredible team, and Jimmy Johnson, I don't think, ever leaves Dallas. Because you imagine you have a weapon like Barry Sanders who could catch balls out the backfield. Uh, Troy Aikman may, may never retire early with a, with a concussion. Just think of the dynamic. So there was that debate. Like uh, you had a Kobe-LeBron debate with Emmett and, and Barry Sanders, and I never understood. They, they had they, – they, he wasn't as good. Yes, Emmett Smith's a Hall of Fame. Yes, he's great. Changed the circumstances. Emmett is never the all-time leading rusher. So right off the top, Barry has an incredible rookie year, rookie of the year in 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, a 19, in 1991, he carries the Lions to the best regular season and playoff run they've had in my lifetime and your lifetime. Yep. Right. The um, only playoff win in that entire stretch. Since 1957, if I'm not yes. mistaken. That's yeah. exactly it. And One playoff win <laughs> in 55 years. One playoff win in 55 yep. years. But Barry, uh, the Redskins were a better team, so that's one year uh, you can't you can't say they underachieved. They did what they were supposed to do. They played to their potential in 1991. And then Barry goes on an incredible run between 91 and 94. 93 uh, before we talk about the 94 season where you will you pick it up if you look at his seasons between all right his rookie year 1470 yards right yep and that's without a, a preseason or a training camp because he was in a holdout that year he was in a holdout. but if you look at i don't look at yards my biggest thing is yards per carry because rodney hampton with the Giants, used to get a thousand yards every season, but many times he didn't average more than four yards per carry, and sometimes less because he got the ball so much because the Giants were a horrible offensive team. His first five years in the league, 
5.3 yards per carry, 5.1 yards per carry, 4.5 yards per carry, 4.3 yards per carry, and 4.6 yards per carry, per carry with a less than mediocre offensive line. They weren't even a, 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 offense, a great offensive line. I think they had one. Who was that? They had great? two good players on the offensive Lowest line. Brown, had, right? And Lowest. Kevin Glover, the center. Yeah, that, that, that was two out of five, all right? Yep. You had two great offensive linemen out of five. Um, center being very important because Barry would go up the middle, make one mm-hmm. move, break an ankle, and he was gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he broke a lot of ankles in his career, now, I tell you. Go to 1994, and this is the first epic year of Barry's career. I mean, he's a Pro Bowl every year, but this is the year where he was separate- another world where he separates himself from the rest of the NFL running backs. And what my father, my father always said that he was the third greatest running back he ever saw. He's my you know, second. The you know only the two. Thing? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, William Sanders, uh, Barry's father said the same thing. Third he greatest always, running. Oh, he third said greatest Brown, running and, back. Brown and um, Peyton. Walter Peyton, I think. Yeah. That's the, my father's top two were Brown and Peyton. My okay. father's top three before Barry came in the league were Jim Brown, Walter Payton, and the murderer from Brentwood. Um, after he saw Barry Sanders by 94, he had already same year that the murderer from Brentwood attacked. All right. <laughs> 94 was not a good year for OJ. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> so yeah, that that was the guy that my father put put in place of OJ Simpson. Was was uh Barry Sanders? My father loved Barry Sanders, and like you and I, couldn't understand why people were putting Emmett on the same level. Yeah, he has the championships. Yeah, he has the the, the records, but he's not the you you he, he could, Emmett couldn't carry a team the way Barry did. So we're gonna go to 1994, his first epic year, your first uh watch, your first viewing of him. Go ahead mm-hmm. and talk about that 94 season. Some of his highlights there. And the a very disappointing playoff game that year against the Green Bay Packers. So to set up that season, they're coming off a ten and six first place finish in the Central. And but the funny thing is, they have that season. They don't have an actual quarterback. They're going through three different quarterbacks at the time. Some games it's uh, Eric Kramer. Some games it's Roddy Pete. And some games it's uh, Andre Ware. So oh, I forgot to mention. All right, this was they they drafted. Andre Ware was a horrible pick. Look. Running shoot quarterback from Houston. He was a great, great college player. But this was now everybody's on on the on the shotgun today. Back then, you didn't look at a quarterback from college if all they did was uh play under under shotgun. Now everybody does. But back then that was anomaly. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, all the quarterbacks back then were under gun, were under the were under the center. They they snapped the ball under the center. Uh, Andre Ware made no sense. I thought Rodney Pete should have been the guy they uh, should have built around from the yep. get go, but they kept yanking him. They I never think he had did. injury problems too. Yeah, he also, he also, and you know, when he went to Dallas and he backed up Aikman, he had some sensational games backing we'll up. Uh, backing we'll see up later in, We'll see later yeah. in 95. He's going to come yeah. back to haunt the Lions in a big way. Yep. Which is not unusual for former players to come back and beat up the Lions. So, oh, I digress. Go ahead and continue the 94 season. You talk about you had Kramer, uh, Pete, and Ware. Yep. 
they, so they, they go they, on the yeah, go ahead. they lost in the wild card playoffs that season to the Green Bay at 28 to 24 at the Silver Dome. That's the game where Sterling Sharp was Brett Favre hit Sterling Sharp. Well, he's like 20 yards wide open in the end zone with 55 seconds left. So another disappointing first round playoff loss. This, this, this what I don't. I was watching that game. This was I don't. At this, now, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are listening and have heard the name Sterling Sharp, and all you know is, oh, that's uh, Shannon's older brother. No, as great as Shannon Sharp was, and Shannon Sharp's one of the greatest tight ends of all time. As great as the receiver Shannon Sharp was, he's not a pimple on Sterling Sharp's ass. This was Sterling Sharp's last season. Full season before he suffered an injury and he never could play again. Sterling Sharp Sharp was on Jerry Rice's level between 92 and 94. That's how great Sterling Sharp was. It was Jerry Rice, Sterling Sharp, the rest of the league. Michael mm-hmm. Irvin wasn't as great as him. And you name anybody. Andre Reid wasn't great. Sterling Sharp was a beast. And Sterling Sharp belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it's criminal that he's not in. I understand he got hurt young and he had to retire early. But uh, Terrell Davis is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Gail Sayers is in the Hall of Fame. You got to do the same for receivers as you do with running backs. These guys had to had to retire early due to injury. Sterling Sharp was that dude, and Brett. Yeah. If it wasn't for Sterling Sharp, Brett Favre would have never had the career he had because his first three years in Green Bay, he had Sterling Sharp to throw to. And B, how the fuck do you leave the most dangerous player on the other team wide open with the game on the line? Oh, that's one of the many questions you ask about this franchise. Doesn't make, over the doesn't years. make sense. Doesn't, <laughs> how do you leave a weapon like, like that? That's like leaving Randy Moss or Jerry Rice wide open late yep. in the game when, when you have a, a lead. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> Remember when the when the Patriots beat the Giants uh, twice, both times Randy Moss was covered tightly late in the game when Brady was trying to drive. You don't let that guy open. No. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, they get those three quarterbacks. They have those three quarterbacks that year, and they decide it's – time to do something different so they drop all three of them and they go into free agency which i think started about that year free agency and one of them they're targeting it was a backup quarterback from miami who took over for marino that year for a few games well marino uh was it towards acl right yep. in 94 and um and um by the way for those who haven't listened please listen to the dan marino podcast uh personal uh uh Mutual friend of Brennan Eyes, uh, Adam, co-hosted the show with me, and he talked about how Scott Mitchell should have paid Marino half of his contract because mm-hmm. if Marino doesn't go down, Scott Mitchell doesn't rob the Detroit Lions. <laughs> <laughs> so his play in that season in '93, he got got him a three-year, eleven million dollar contract with the Lions. Yep. And there was other teams are going after him. It was Minnesota was looking yep. at him. Oh, he had his pick. He yep. could have gone to anybody. I think he went to Detroit because of, they had Barry Sanders because he thought that yep. was the best place for him to win. Uh, he he could have been your anywhere. quarterback to the Saints. Yep. Was, the Saints were in, interested in him. Yeah, Saints didn't have a Barry Sanders. I think Barry Sanders was the deciding factor yep. in Mitchell. I mean, everybody – I mean, look, I, I agree he did play well as a Dolphin, but remember, 
the weapons Marino had and the mm-hmm. offensive line Marino had. I mean, yep. one thing about coach. Miami, they never had a running back, but they, but with Marino, they always had great receivers and a great offensive line. All right. So while Marino was on another level, a decent quarterback could look like a pro bowler with those receivers and that offensive line. <laughs> Mitchell will find out when he goes to Detroit. <laughs> he didn't have the same weapons. <laughs> no, he didn't. He, uh, Wayne Fonts was praising him. Boy, does this look bad. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I know. But he says, this guy, he's talking about Mitchell, hopefully it's a missing piece that will one day take the Lions to the Super yeah. Bowl. Yeah. And he had a decent year his second year. He had a good year his second year. But his first year was kind of struggle. So he, by week one, you know, he helped to lead the Lions back, come from behind victory. And, but throughout the, throughout early in the season, he played the first seven games before he hurt his shoulder. Yep. And there has been, there was talk years later, Kevin, not Kevin Glover, but Lomas Brown was bragging that he accidentally on purpose missed a block against Green Bay and let a, what a Packers I don't player! Be, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't believe that. it either. I don't. I think that's Lomas being bitter and spiteful. Yeah, uh, I think his experience as a lion. And I listened to a podcast later that Herman Moore, or Lomas Brown, Scott Mitchell were on. They were talking about that, and Mitchell says, "You know, I went and watched that game, and I don't remember any. Pl- I don't think you were doing that. So I think it was just Lomas being being silly or Lomas yeah, being bitter." Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Lomas being bitter and spiteful because, yep. uh, and Lomas never got the recognition he deserved. Lomas was a hell of, you could, yes he was. You you could make an argument he's the greatest offensive lineman in Detroit Lions history. Yep. Never got the cool, never got the support he did. I mean, I mean he was always blocking the best defensive player the other day. <laughs> yep, and. So through that stretch, that first half of the season, and the Lions are to get off to a slow start. Again, like I said earlier, typical Lions during the Fonz area, it's slow start, but then you get hot at the end of the season and get into the playoffs. So Barry's, Barry's off to a great start. He's got 120 yards against Atlanta. He said so they have a Monday night game against Dallas in week three against Emmett Smith, and Barry outduels uh, Emmett. He go, Barry goes off for 194 yards. And the Lions end up winning twenty to seventeen on Monday Night Football. This is the uh, this is the ninety four season when yep. the Cowboys got off to a slow start and they w- did with the East, but it was the Forty ers that had the best record of football that year. Yes, because the Forty ers went. They said, "Man, fuck Scott Mitchell, we got Steve Young." They went and got everybody else. <laughs> they got they, Dion. They went and got Deion Sanders, Ken Norton, Ricky Jackson. They went and got a who's who, a Hall of Famers. <laughs> well, they were kind of like second banana to the Cowboys for a few years there. They and they they were because they had lost the last two championship games. Mm-hmm. And, as and Steve, Steve Young had game. the uh, yeah. Steve Young had the uh, the uh, reputation as being a guy that could win the big one. A and, choke. He was considered yeah. a choke artist because they were always. That's what happens. When you follow a legendary mm-hmm. player in the same position, he followed Montana, who at that point in time was the Tom Brady of his era. He was considered mm-hmm. the greatest of all time. Steve Young takes over, and and you know what? It's something that uh, Mac Jones is going to always have to go through as the guy who followed Brady in, in, in New England. You're always going to be compared to a ghost. Yes, and, you're always compared to the guy you replace. Yeah, and especially if that guy is 
on the pantheon of a Mount Rushmore or, or mm-hmm. one of the all-time greats. So yeah, uh, so what they did was the Niners went and got everybody. I mean, they got everybody. Jerry Rice. I mean, they got a. They had. They had like the all-time 1980s team on that 1994. <laughs> and that Super Bowl was over by like the second quarter, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. It so, was. so continue with the Lions season. Uh, they beat the Cowboys, which was a huge win because the Cowboys were the defending champions. Yep. And you had the battle of the two best running backs of that era. All right, and, and Barry and Emmett, that was always the the talk back then. So they're coming off that high. Continue, continue uh, talking about the season. So they get to that after that game, Barry Switzer, who was very familiar with Barry back in the, the college days, referred to Barry as the most dangerous back in the game. Back during his, when he was in Oklahoma State, Switzer, there was rumors that Switzer was telling his uh, Sooners players, and say, hey, don't injure Thurman Thomas because you fade, if you injure Thurman, we're going to face Barry. And then we're a Let me tell you something. Trouble. If anybody knows anything about running backs, is Barry Switzer. Oh, yeah. Look at, uh, he had. Yeah, Billy Sims. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another great. We failed That's to my... mention. We failed to mention. Uh, Barry was given number twenty in honor of Billy Sims because Billy Sims. Yeah, there's a including Barry. There's three different great Lions players that are in the Hall of Fame that wore that number. It was Lem Barney, the quarterback. Lem Barney, Barry Sanders, yep. and, and Billy, uh, Sims. Billy Sims. Yep. Uh, and uh, uh, you'll never see another Lions player wear, wear that number. Uh, no. Not unless, not unless tomorrow. Uh, the second coming of Derrick Henry falls in their lap. Then maybe he... like, who would <laughs> want that number with all the pressure? I mean, okay, you're just following three Hall of Famers. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't touch that number with a. Yeah. With... Okay, Brent, talk about what happened after that huge win over the Cowboys that year. So that big win, which by the way was their first ever victory in Dallas, after. Multiple failures over the years. Wait a minute, wait a minute. For throughout the entire career of the franchise, history of yes. the franchise? Yep. They've I beat, mean, both the, both the Cowboys and Lions, I mean, when the Cowboys came in the league in 1960, the yes. Lions have been in the NFL forever and a day. Uh, I believe, if I'm mistaken, the Lions might have been an original NFL team off the top of my head. I'm not sure. This was the off. first. This was one of the first time in 34 years that, that they won in Dallas. Yes, they had they beat them multiple times at Tiger Stadium or at Silverdome, but they had never beaten them at um, at Texas Stadium and that inclu- or anywhere in Dallas, and that included that 1971 playoff game where they lost five to nothing. Of all things, to lose a score, the game by is five to nothing. God damn, that was the the Texas Rangers beating the Detroit Tigers. Five exactly. Nolan Ryan must have pitched that night. <laughs> quick question, <laughs> quick question. Yes. Um. They've always been talking about because the Lions have been god awful for so many years to take away the Thanksgiving tradition uh, from Detroit. They've been trying. I mean, um, other teams want that spot. I've I've always thought as a compromise, maybe you make an annual Lions Cowboys game where the Lions have to travel because there's no way in the world Jerry Jones is giving up Dallas and traveling to Detroit, but no. to a uh, to appease. The other NFL teams and fans, maybe you have the Lions every other year play on Thanksgiving, and the years they don't play in the Silverdome, they play at Dallas. I was thinking out loud on, 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 on that situation, but um, you've heard the rumblings, right, that they've been trying to take away 
Thanksgiving yes, from have. Detroit for you. Yeah. Yep. Well, what, what, what's your take on that? Uh, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I think that, first of all, you got the Ford family owning the Lions, and that's one of the biggest uh, backers of the NFL. Right. And right. if you take that away, then you're going to probably anger your biggest supporter. And Would you say they're one of the richest uh, owners in the NFL? I would say so. I mean, one of the most important names in, this, in not just Detroit, but the state's history. Right, the right, f- right. Fords. Unfortunately, it just hasn't translated the wins for this football team over the last 60-some years. Okay, that, that, that's understandable. All right, so I'll continue on with the 94 season and their journey to the playoffs that year. So they, after that big win against Dallas, you think they could build on it, but unfortunately they lose their next three games. They drop to two and four on the season. And Barry is – it's not because of Barry. He's having, you know, one great year, game after another. He, even though they lose to the Patriots, he rushed for 131 yards and two touchdowns. The following week, they play the Buccaneers in Tampa. They lose that game, but he goes off for 166 yards. And then they have a real close game at home against the 49ers, and he rushes for 95 yards. And by this time, the – What the was the annual- final score of that Niners game? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this was the year the Niners won it all. What was yeah, the final 27 score? to 21. And that game so, was in Detroit or, or, or Pontiac was, or Frisco? That was in Pontiac, yep. Okay. All right. okay. So, um, um, that 94 49ers team is one of the five greatest teams I've seen in my 45 years of watching football. That yeah, team I, was loaded. You had, you had backups on that team that would have been all pro players at, on other teams had they started. That team was loaded. So to, to only lose to six, six by six points, less than a touchdown, to the eventual world champions, that that's saying a lot. That, that that's saying how exactly. competitive this how they that's saying how competitive this Lions team was up until this point. All right, continue. Yeah, and really look back if you look back the nineties for a pretty good decade for the Lions, considering what their other decades they've had. They're in the playoffs multiple times. They were How many times they made the playoffs in the 90s? Because I know they made the NFC Championship game. We spoke about that early in the, yep. in, in the podcast. Uh, well, altogether. Was, I think it was six. Because uh, I think it was 91, 93, 94, 95, 97, 99. 99, the year oh, after Barry six. left, they made the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, and, and how many times have they been to the playoffs since 1999? Uh, three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what we're Matt saying Hillen is Barry Sanders, when he was the star player of the Detroit Lions, those were your glory years. Yeah, yeah. Other than the 1950s, that was the glory era. I'm of talking the about in, in modern day, our lifetimes. Yep. Oh I yeah. Mean, yep. I started watching Definitely. football in '77. You started watching football this year, 1994. So, during our lifetimes, the, this was the Lions' glory years. Yes, it was. And so, at this point, you're 2-4, and four, even though Barry's having a great season. And it's the, the rite of passage for each year. The press is already starting to call for Wayne Fonts' head. You're in the bye week. It's your, your typical season under Wayne Fonts was you get a slow start, but you get on a hot streak towards the end and get into the playoffs. That's why Fonts was referred to as Rasputin by Chris Berman. He like, could always pull a winning streak out of his uh, pocket to save his You know job. why I think they were able to uh, continue year after year in building these late-season winning streaks? Why is that? 
because in most of the cities they're playing in Green Bay, New York, uh, Chicago, Minnesota had a dome, so I, I don't count that. Cold weather cities, cold weather stadiums. What do the Lions have an advantage over all those teams? The running game. I'm talking about when they're playing in a cold weather stadium. That's right. Did they have the running game? Because you did the passing game many a time, unless your name is Tom Brady. The <laughs> when, they, when it's snowing out there and, and, and it's frigid co- conditions, you have to rely on your running game. Unfortunately, that will bite them in the ass in the playoffs. But I think that's why year after year Wayne's job was saved because December they have the one weapon that is immune nine times out of ten to yes. cold weather, and that's yep. that's the running game. So that's probably why uh, Wayne continued to uh, avoid his head getting chopped off until yeah. You know, he used to refer to himself as a big buck in the woods. <laughs> it says, I'm the big buck in woods. Everyone's hunting for me, and every year he would survive. All right, so, so continue, big man. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, out of the bye week, they win two straight. They get the Bears at home, and they beat the Bears 21-16. to And Another fine game by Barry, 23-year rushes for 161 yards. And then against the Giants, a, a close game against the Giants, a, 28 to 25 at the Silver Dome, and again, 146 yards for Barry. So again, he's putting in the effort. But at this point, your big money quarterback that you signed this offseason, Scott Mitchell, is really struggling at this point. You know, he, I, I, I saw yeah. that. I saw that game. Me being from New York, I saw that game against the Giants. Okay. And God damn it, how the hell do you struggle against fucking Dave Brown? Oh, how do you struggle when you have Brett Perriman and Johnny Morton and Herman Moore, Herman Moore and Barry Sanders Yep, against and, a giant uh, team whose best offensive weapon was Rodney Hampton? That's it. That's all yep. their offense was Rodney yep. Hampton. That quarter, Dave Brown, uh, we, I've said it a million times. The Giants have drafted two Duke quarterbacks, and they, they're probably the two worst quarterbacks in the history of the organization. <laughs> Again, the great football program that is Duke University. The only quarterbacks I want from Duke are Duke point guards. All right, there you go. Not yep. Duke quarterbacks on an NFL, on, on a college team that has never done anything. I don't know what they saw in Dave Brown and Danny Dimes. All right, continue, big man. I will say this: not to toot my school's horn, but I think uh, my my school, Central Michigan, has a better football tradition than that's than not, Duke University. That, that's not saying any. That, that that's no. that's like saying uh, New York's crime rate is is not as bad as Detroit's. They're both bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we come to Week Ten, and this is a big turning point in the, in the season. They're playing Green Bay in Milwaukee. If you remember back in the day, the Packers would schedule at least one game in Milwaukee yeah, uh, at County State. Quick Stadium. question: When's the yeah. last time they did that? I think it was this year, '94. Okay, because I I haven't heard of a game in what might have happened. Well, I don't know when their new stadium, the new Brewer Stadium, went up, but I know they've never played there. No. They, I remember a preseason. What's it called? Miller, Miller Park, right? Miller Park. Yes. Is in, yeah, they've yep. never played. By the way, I would love to visit that stadium one day. That's oh, a I. beautiful looking stadium. My uncles went there once before, but I would like. They to loved it. There. They enjoyed it, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, how far are you from Milwaukee? Oh, uh, we'd have to go straight across the state, so it'd be about three hours. Because be... right, Chicago's not too far from Milwaukee, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, if we were to go straight, we, there's two options. You can go like down. 
through Chicago and back up. And that would probably take several hours. Or you could also just clip cut across the state and then take the ferry across Lake Michigan right. over to Wisconsin. And that's it's it's roughly about the same, about several hours trip. All right. Okay. That that's probably worth that's probably worth a, a, a trip for you and your family because yeah. It, it, I mean that ballpark looks beautiful. The the prettiest parks that I've seen on television, Miller Park, Camden Yards is still beautiful after all oh, these definitely. years. Yep. City Field, I can attest to you, but being a Met fan, is a beautiful park. I mean, oh, it blows did. away, blows away the New Yankee Stadium. Day. It blows away. I've been to both. Uh, yep. City Field is beautiful. I know some of the most beautiful. You know what's a beautiful older park? What's that? Uh, the Royal Stadium, Kauffman Stadium, whatever they call it today. They Even did a fine job renovating that place. That, I'll say that. The water fountains are still where I, I I love the way that that park looks. So yeah, yeah, Miller Park is definitely. Yep. I've worth the, been to, the journey. Yeah. I've been to Cleveland and I've been to Jacobs Field. stadiums in Detroit. Yep. Jacobs Field. Uh, what are they calling the stadium in Detroit now? Comerica Park. Oh, so it's been Comerica Park for yep. a while. Or some people joke about it, they call it Comerica National Park. It's a huge outfield. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, ruined Juan Gonzalez's career. <laughs> yeah, it got into his head quickly. He had a long fly ball. He was ball never the same after place. that. He was yep. never the same. And Talk about having a horrible agent. They offered him the moon. He didn't take it. Then he had that well, god awful year. <laughs> then um, no, it's good for the Tigers. I'm saying for him. Yeah. And after he had that horrendous year in Detroit, no one came. No one even offered him half of what the Tigers offered. Him. <laughs> and he went to Cleveland, and he went to Cleveland, which is a much better hitters park. Yeah, but even yeah. then, it never was the same after it, that season it, in that, Detroit. That, that happens. That happens. Um, that happens a lot to a, a power hitters who wind up having a horrible year in a in a pitcher's park in a fucking uh, a, a mountain of a stadium, and they never recover. They never recover, and so that's why it, it's the like uh, the the same effect on a pitcher who's had a great career. Then mm. they go to Colorado, Denver, and, yep. they, and they're never. The same perfect example was Brett Sabagan, two-time Cy Young Award winner, went to Colorado, got battered, and never could recover that Cy Young Award winning uh, a pitch, uh, pitching uh, style. All right, go ahead. Continue, big man. So, at, I'm saying this game is a turning, turning point in the season. It's kind of for the wrong reason. Uh, Mitchell had been struggling most of, the, at most of the year after a good opening game. Um, he gets injured partway through the game, breaks his right wrist, and he's done for the year. So he gets replaced by his backup, his 36-year-old Dave Craig. Everyone remembers Dave Craig, longtime quarterback for the uh, CLC Hawks. He's 36-year-old at this point, and he basically saved that season because if he doesn't uh, by, uh, like by the way, at this point in Craig's career, he had already set the NFL record for most fumbles by a quarterback. Yep. <laughs> But, but he doesn't turn the ball over when no, he takes over. He doesn't. He, is, he no. takes care of the ball. In fact, he doesn't throw an interception until right. the last game of the season. That's right. That's right. And it was it was a great run for a guy that no one expected anything of. He was he barely made the Lions squad, and uh, he was just considering you know because they had given Scott Mitchell all this mo- money. Uh, mm-hmm. He was just expected to carry a clipboard for the whole season. <laughs> 
I, I was looking at the roster of that team after, and they still they said Chuck Long was a quarterback on his team. I said, I don't remember Chuck Long ever being on that team. Wait a remember, minute, was he on that team? He was the backup. I was watching the highlights of that Bills game we'll talk about later. So he must, have been, he must have been the backup to Craig after Mitchell was out for the season. Because yeah. there's no way in the world Chuck Long no. was going to play unless Dave Craig got into a car accident or something. Yeah, and all they had after that was Gino Toretta, who I don't think he ever played a snap in the NFL, so... You know what? And I've said this a million times. You said it a, a, a bunch of times. Matt Stafford is the only quarterback they've had in my lifetime. <laughs> oh, by far. Yep. In my dad's lifetime. And he's been watching for over 50 yeah. years. I've watched him yeah. for 25 years. That's and crazy. That's I know. crazy. And then it's, what do they replace Stafford with? An overrated. Jerry oh, yeah. <laughs> But I guess it, I tell tell my dad's friends, it always says how awful golf is. But I tell him, like, look, you want to get a high draft pick, right? You don't want a quarterback to go in and light it up and lead this team to victories. You want Jared Goff is going to lead you to three Man. wins and top two uh, selection. Yeah, you guys, uh, you I, I wanted the Saints to get Stafford, but they weren't willing to give up those picks. Uh man, uh, I think Stafford on the Saints would have took him to the, with with with, with uh, Stafford and Peyton. We'd be playing on Sunday. Well, by yes. the way, not uh, we recorded this three days before the Super Bowl. You're hearing this way after the Super Bowl already happened. Um, we don't know who won the game because we're recording this on the Thursday before the Super Bowl. But uh, if the Saints would have gotten Stafford, the Super Bowl that we have all seen already, <laughs> <laughs> the Saints would have been in that Super Bowl. All right, continue. Yes, exactly. So. There was talk that years later, I'm sure you've heard it, where Lomas Brown was uh, bragging that he kind of accidentally on purpose. You know, that was was bullshit. That was him fucking around. That was bullshit. And and, um, right, what Mitchell says, there's no way in the world that that that, that, that was the case. Yeah, there was a podcast with uh, Lomas Brown, Herman Moore, and Scott Mitchell. They were talking about that, and Lomas apologized to uh, to Mitchell about it. And Mitchell says, you know, I went back and watched that game. I'm not seeing where you did that. So I think it was just Lomas just being Lomas and being bitter about that or just. Uh, lo- uh, Lomas isn't in trouble. the Hall of Fame, right? I don't think he is. Well, he deserves to be in the Hall yeah. of Fame. Herman Moore, too, I would say. Yeah, yeah, Herman Moore, he's never going to get in, though. Yeah. It's... Uh, uh, the, I agree with you. He's got great numbers. But, uh, and t- to be honest with you, Brent, he doesn't go in over Sterling Sharp. Sterling Sharp should get in yeah. before any of those guys, right? Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I agree. Herman, once Sterling does get in, if he ever gets in, Herman deserves to be in. And Lomas Brown. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you later on your five greatest lines of your lifetime. I'm sure he'll be part of that list. He's just tremendous. All right, continue. So, anyway, they lose that game 38-30, to 30, and Craig kind of – pulled him back into the game. He goes 23 for 33 for 275 yards and three touchdowns. And Barry kind of got held in check. He only had 47 yards rushing on 15 carries, but he had eight catches for 51 yards. And Herman Moore says that bringing in Dave Craig, that kind of unlocked the offense. He said, that's the offense. I knew it was there all along. So here we come at this season. I guess that is a turning point. And typical Lions, especially during the Fonz era, they get hot at this point and go five and two the rest of the way. And your next game, they're at home against Tampa Bay. It's a 14 to nine win. I think it was a Sunday night game. And Barry 
course, sets a team record. The Buccaneers were always his favorite whipping boy. So I look back in his stats, and and during his 10-year career, Barry had just under 2,200 rushing yards and 14 touchdowns against Tampa Bay. How and many Buccaneers, games? Um, How many games? Because uh, Barry about, played, Barry played 10 seasons in the NFL, right? So it'd be about 21, I think, if you if it's including so the playoffs. So if game. you, uh, so this is including the playoffs too. Uh, I'm not sure if it was including the playoffs. It might. Right. Well, wait, Barry was hurt one year. One year, Barry might not have played the Bucks twice. Yeah, so it might have been there was 20. one season, Barry didn't play a whole season. Other than one season, Barry played every game. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just say, for shits and giggles, it was 18, 19 games. And he's averaging over 100 yards a game against yeah. a Buccaneer team. <laughs> exactly. And they were terrible back then. They didn't give any. They didn't improve until Tony Junji and Warren Sapp come along. But again, that's a Lions record for rushing yards. I think it might even still stand. And by the way, so, I want to yeah. piggyback on you just talking. And um, Sapp and they brought in Derek Brooks and all these great a uh, a uh, barber, all these great draft choices. The year after Dungy gets fired, the the immediate season, Dungy did not deserve to get fired. They no, fired Tony Dungy. This is similar to Caldwell. Similar to Jim Caldwell. They fire Tony Dungy. Groden comes in. Gruden comes in. Mm-hmm. And he immediately win the Super Bowl off of a team that Dungy built. Uh, yeah, and he didn't do too much with it after that. Yeah, you know we have the we have the Brian Flores lawsuit coming up against the NFL for racial discrimination. Piss me off that a uh, week week to ten. But oh, you people listening, this would have been early February. Christopher Mad Fraud Russo was on first take with Stephen Stephanie Fetchett, and uh, uh, Stephen A. Smith asked him, "Why don't you think uh Brian Byron Le- Leftwich?" And uh, Eric Bieniemy can't get coaching jobs. What this fraud Russo said was they didn't deserve to have head coaching jobs because they were recipients, right? They benefited from having great quarterbacks as offensive coordinator. Motherfucker, what? So that means, Brent, that Bill Belichick never deserved a head coaching job because he was the benefit of Lawrence Taylor. Right. What kind of That's, fucking logic is that, Brent? That's ridiculous. I mean, okay, he has those players, but those players, all the same players. He developed good Pat Mahomes. Yeah. He developed Pat Mahomes. Now, I don't blame Byron Leftwich for not taking that Jaguars job because that place is like no, Chernobyl. no, that, that's, a that's a cesspool. That's a cesspool. That's a cesspool. But, you know, but, but he was how they saying, run a wrestling company. He was saying that they didn't deserve to be head coaches because their records as offensive coordinator, were benefited by having legendary quarterbacks, all right? Josh McDaniels just got a second job, but he's a horrible head He was a horrible head coach. Definitely his third because he walshed on the uh, Colts. Yeah, he should have had that job. Uh, Tom Brady, who he had nothing to do with developing. He got that job off Tom Brady. Bill Belichick, who, in my opinion, is the greatest coach in history in the NFL, doesn't yeah. get that opportunity if Lawrence Taylor's not a New York Giant. If they would have drafted Hugh Green or somebody else, uh, Belichick would have never would have been a, a, a uh, would have been a dot in the history of football. All right, exactly. Bill Parcells would not have gotten all these great jobs if Lawrence if he hadn't coached Lawrence Taylor. 
So I don't want to hear that nonsense about he benefited. Because every coach that got an opportunity, other than Mike Tomlin, because I credit the Roonies, they gave Mike Tomlin the job when nobody had to, had him on his radar. And he, in my opinion, the second greatest coach after Belichick of the last 20 years. You're talking right. about stability with that franchise. Oh, oh my gosh. They, three coaches in 51 years. Yeah. Three First. coaches in 51, and all three Hall of Fame coaches. All right. And let, you let look me at get it this so place. <laughs> you, look at this, my, you look at down uh, Detroit. And Jim, and, um, Jim Caldwell. Uh, I think the Lions might be cursed for a very long time, Lions fans, because you did a man wrong, and the universe is smacking you in the face. And the same thing might happen to Miami. Uh, these guys did not deserve to be fired. You've got guys that have losing season after losing season that keep their job. Look at the Cowboy coaches down the line that have been horrible, right? Yep. And you had Jim Caldwell and Brian Flores who did nothing but le- improve their team, and they get fired. Matt Patricia. and Well, Matt Pat- Patricia didn't um, uh, uh, benefit from, ha- from, from being an assistant under Bill Belichick. This is all bullshit. So, yep. uh, Fuck you, Mad Dog. All right, go ahead, continue. So we get after, going after this game, after the being the Buccaneers, we get into Thanksgiving. You're playing the Buffalo Bills. We're just coming off four straight trips yeah. to the Super Bowl. Still a fine team. You have Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid, Bruce Smith. And this is a very good game. I remember watching this at my aunt's place on Thanksgiving. And Barry, again, doesn't have much of a game, but Dave Craig lights him up. Uh, there was a play earlier. Hey, let me ask you a question. Let me ask yeah. you a question. Was this the first time the two Oklahoma State uh, friends and former teammates, Dermot Thomas and Barry Sanders, played against each other? I Probably the first time in Detroit because I've seen highlights of them playing against each other in Buffalo. Because, all right, so, it, it makes sense because you play every four years. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. It makes sense. Uh, uh, they uh, – the, they uh, they be close friends and it, it's crazy. We talk about we talked about it earlier. How Barry was a backup to Dermot Thomas. You know how great you have to be to have Barry Sanders as your backup. <laughs> yeah, I said earlier. What a great depth chart you have: a Hall of Famer and a Hall of Famer. <laughs> one right and, after the one, one and, right after the other, which is crazy because at that point in time, before they got Dermot Thomas. of running backs with Billy Sims mm-hmm. a year before he imploded. Uh, they got uh, Barry Sanders and Dermot Thomas during a time period when Oklahoma was dominant with the running backs. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, what did Dermot Thomas do in this game? Um, I didn't find his stats on that one, but I know I think he outrushed Barry because Barry only had 45 yards. Okay. But Craig is the one that had the big game, 350 yards passing. He's nearly flawless, 20 to 25, three touchdowns. Had a beautiful flea flicker early in the game. It's like, I think it's like second down on the play, and they completely froze the Buffalo defense because Herman Moore's wide open for 51 yard, uh, 51 yard touchdown. He's a wide open by 10, 15 yards, and mm. they interviewed. There was NBC interviewed uh, Thurman and Barry prior to that game, and Barry said he remembers Thurman as being the man on campus. I mean, the big running back, the star player, of course he's going to be the man. 
And Thomas was asked, okay, it wouldn't have been interesting to have both Barry and Thurman Thomas in the uh, cowboy backfield back then. And he says, no, he's laughing. No, no they, they were a one-back offense. That wasn't yep. happening. That so wasn't I wasn't going to block for him. He was going to block for me. And you're right. I mean, that's not their style. So they played after that game, big victory against the Bills, a strong, still pretty good Bills team. They faced the Packers at home. Usually during that era, they would stru- they would lose to the Packers in Green Bay or Milwaukee, and then they would beat them at the Silverdome, and this was no different. Barry has another has a big game, a big bounce-back game, goes for 188 yards on 20 rushes. Um, Barry's already broken the team record for yards in a season, and we still got about four games left. He's got 1,548 yards. He's still in the hunt for 2,000 which we'll talk about later on. Mm-hmm. And Wayne Fonts, who was pretty much the beneficiary of Barry's greatness, saved his job multiple times. He tells the paper, he says, when the creator said you're going to be Barry Sanders, he was saying from now on all running backs will look at this guy and see what they want to be. And he has a reason, to, again, he has a reason to praise this guy so much because he saved his job on multiple occasions. So exactly. Yeah, they keep on winning. They trip up in the last game of the season. They hit a shot at the NFC Central title. They play the. They go down to Miami, play the Dolphins. That's still Dan Marino still lighting it up down there. And the Lions lose a close one, 27 to 20. Barry's held in check, only goes for 52 yards. And he ends up finishing the season with uh, 1,883 yards, which is a sixth straight 1,000-yard season. It's a new Lions record, one of the highest rushing totals in the whole season. So the Lions finish nine and seven, and they go into the playoffs, and they get a really yeah, talk back. talk about talk about probably one of the most, if not the most, disappointing playoff game oh, yeah. in the history of your lifetime being a Lions fan, and yes. Barry just having the worst game of his entire life. If you include high school, college, NFL, it gets no worse. Yeah, they lose. They only lose by four games, 16 to 12 to the Packers. Barry is completely shut down. I mean, he only had 13, 13 rushing attempts. He's held a negative one yard. They just completely bottled him up. The Packers D-line just dominated the Lions. And Reggie White, who pretty much just imposed his will on that game, he was stunned. He said, it's just inconceivable. I've seen that guy do things that I've never seen anybody do in my life, and we shut him down like this. And Barry admitted, and Reggie White was a big reason, to say, we didn't get a chance to get into our game plan. White made his presence known. You know, Craig didn't do too bad. He was sacked four times. But when you were running games completely shut down like that, it, you can't, you're not going to expect to win. They came close, but, you know, as the old saying goes, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Mm-hmm. Yep, and yep. that was one of the most disappointing losses I, I remember watching and watching this team over the years. And there have been a lot of losses. But this one's the most, one of the most disappointing ever. So did you watch that game when you I was wa- I watched that game because uh, this was the first year Fox had the NFC package, the NFL. Yes. And I was just amazed at Barry couldn't do anything. And yeah. and Barry had several Barry had what 13 carries for negative one yards, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yes. And I think half of those carries were for negative yards. 
Reggie White was on fire that game, and it was also brutally cold. What was it like? Negative five degrees? Something like that. Something and, like that. Just typical Green Bay weather in the in the December. And even even the great Brett Farr did not have a great game in that game. He didn't. No. He, he he had a so-so game. It was a defensive struggle. And if it's two defenses going head to head, and you've got the great uh Reggie White, and Reggie White's going to trump your best defensive player. We didn't talk about the the Lions defense at this time. Was uh, Clay Matthews on his team at the time? For the Lions? Yeah. I don't think he. I don't think he who was. was who Lions was your? Back. Who was your? Who was your uh, superstar defensive players? On uh, his team? I would say the best defensive players you had uh, was Pat Swillen on his team. Was yeah, he yeah, was Chris Spielman. Yep, Chris yeah, you Spielman. had Pat Swillen. Pat Swillen oh. and Chris. I always get Matthews and Spielman confused. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was Chris Spielman and uh, Pat Swillen. Um, yep. I, and um. Was it at one point Chris Spielman, the president of the Lions organization at one time? Uh, he's working with them as a consultant. I don't think he's the president. I think that's Rod Wood. But he okay. is working with the franchise again after the whole Patricia and, and all that mess. Because he was the one that, that advocated Matt Patricia being the head coach, right? Uh, it was, a, it was the uh, Bob Quinn, the general manager, who came from New okay. England. He was okay. big friends with uh, Patricia, and course, as we all the, know, yeah. rotten. There's always rotten lemons falling off the uh, Bill Belichick coaching tree. And and, and it, 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 total contrast. Uh, Brian Flores is one of the best off uh-huh. that tree, yeah, and he gets far. treated. With tre- I mean, right now it's Rabel and Flores. Yep. If Flores ever coaches again, pending his suit, they were the best out of you know. Just because you coached under the legendary. Uh, Hall of Fame, all-time number one coach doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach, Eric Mangini. Exactly. Um, I think the best example of Romeo two, Cornell. I think the best example of two legendary coaches coming off the same tree. Man, I forgot one of them. Tom Landry was no Landry and Lombardi. I believe were yes. under a, were under the Giants uh, head coaching tree back in the fifties, and they both went on to become all-time great coaches. So. And Bill Walsh was with uh, Cincinnati with uh, Paul Brown. Paul Brown, that's right. Yeah. That 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 tree, that that tree, and then um, Walsh had a whole line of uh, great coaches underneath him. Uh, Dennis Green being yeah. one of them who had tremendous success in, in Minnesota. Yeah, but just because your name is Bill, just because you worked for Bill Belichick, doesn't mean you think like Bill. Yeah, as they they think they go in, they think they can recreate Belichick and Brady, but they then they they don't realize one, you're not Bill Belichick, and two, you don't have Tom Brady, and you can't do the same thing. But Josh McDaniels is going to be huge, huge fan. Yeah, uh, put it in the books. All right, so they lose this game, and then they go they go back to the playoffs the following year, right, 1995. Yes, they had a good season there. They came real, again and came really close to winning that division. They 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 have to make a change at backup quarterback because Mitchell's all healed up and they're not going to dump him because they've invested so much in. So Craig goes and signs with Arizona and they sign Don Mikowski, who lost his job to Brett Favre a few years earlier. So he's their backup. You see how many retreads the yes. Lions kept signing throughout the nineties? Mm-hmm. Chuck Long. Yeah. Uh Craig. Oh my God. Frank Reich, who we'll talk about later. Yeah, I mean these these guys should have been 
collecting the NFL pension, not fucking backing <laughs> up another quarterback. <laughs> yep. So anyway, they had a good draft that year. They ended up getting a, the first round pick was Luther Ellis, who went on to a long career with the Lions. Great defensive tackle. David yeah. Sloan, who had a great year in 95. Stephen Boyd, a good linebacker. Corey Schlesinger, a big, tough fullback they've had, they had for years. And they had, they had a great year. They're 10-6. and six. They ended up finishing 10-6 this season. This was their third straight playoff appearance. If you know your Lions history, that does not happen too often. The only other time that happened was in the 50s, when 52 you know, to 54. Doing Barry's run in Detroit, they were a perennial. They were a perennial playoff team, and mm-hmm. even when they didn't make the playoffs, they were close to making the playoffs. They never had a real high draft choice in order to get a quarterback. No. I'm trying to think who were some of the elite quarterbacks that were drafted during that time. That time frame, there were a lot of oh. busts back then. Yeah, there were a lot it. of busts. Bledsoe. Um, Bledsoe. Uh, Rick, uh, Rick Byra was a huge bust. Yes, he was. I remember the Bears threw a ton of money at him, and that and a backfiring in their face. Um, uh, and Manning came after the fact because Manning was drafted yep. the, the last year, right? That Barry played, so Manning it wasn't that. Yeah, it wasn't that in that draft they thought that Ryan Leaf was going to be the more NFL ready quarterback. Another one, another bus, another huge bust. bus. Yeah, you had yep. all. They they were considering drafting Leaf. <laughs> yep. Well, it's been like that all through the years. The Lions never have a chance to get that great quarterback other than when Until they drafted Stafford. That was that was their one opportunity. I yep. give them credit. They they did win and got him. They just didn't give him the offensive line help that he needed to us. I mean, yep. I, it's a testament to, to Matt Stafford's incredible durability and tough toughness that he still, never mind, still playing at the level that he's playing. Yeah, he could walk straight. <laughs> yeah, he took a beating. I think he fractured it back at one point towards the end of his run at the Lions. And, yeah, it's amazing he's still one of the best quarterbacks and still, like you said, still walking and still you not know, like limping um, or anything. Like, like I said earlier, we're this is being recorded before the Super Bowl, uh, three days before the Super Bowl. Uh, in your opinion, how many seasons does Stafford have left playing at a high level? With considering the great offensive line he's playing behind and those offensive weapons he's had, because well, he, uh, Cooper Cup and o, uh, and Odell aren't going anywhere anytime soon. No. Yeah. Well, he's got. Well, he's like thirty-four years old, right. I think. Yeah, so I would say he's probably got about four more years because if he plays with, as long as the uh, bomb doesn't fall on the Rams, because remember they don't have draft picks, first-round picks for a long time. Yeah, but look at all that offensive weaponry. Yeah, but they, they got have. firepower. As they, as long as they stay healthy, they're good. Yep. They're good. And you can always get a running back in free agency. Right? Yes. Right. Nobody drafts running backs with high picks anymore because yeah. you could get one in, in free agency. So they're going to be okay. Yeah. They're going to be okay. I think he's got about four years ago, maybe five. Depending oh, on so you know what? Ago. Regardless of what the outcome was, because we don't know what happened on, on the Super Bowl, Stafford's going to the Hall of Fame. I agree. He's got yeah. the big. He's got the stats, and and he should go in as a lion because regardless of what he does as a Ram, eighty percent of, of of his career was in Detroit. So, uh, yep, it'll That's be like the first. Farvin, uh, he played almost all of his career in Green Bay. You're not going to think about okay, one year as a Jet or as a couple well, years as a Viking. It's a, it's, know, as a Packer. He's, he's a and wherever Aaron Rodgers goes, he's a Packer. He's yep. a Packer. Period. Period. Brady. 
Brady, who retired, we we recording this a week after he retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care that he won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. He's going in as a Patriot. Period. Yes, exactly. So we're back to that, back to that uh, '95 season. Um, typical, typical Lions. What's that? Yeah. Let's go to the playoffs in '95. Let's go straight to the playoffs. All right. So they, they like I said, finished uh, ten and six, and they draw Philadelphia in in uh, round one. And do you remember the Rodney the, Pete? The Rodney yes. Pete revenge came. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> of all the quarterbacks, is like because I think Randall Cunningham was still with Randall the Cunningham had, had was holding out, and he wouldn't come back until 1997 when he went to Minnesota. Yep, and then just set the world on fire. With in 98, that. in 98. And uh, I don't know what you think, Brent, but the two greatest teams I've ever seen not to win a Super Bowl, Randy Moss was on both teams, the 98, yes. 98 Vikings and the 07 Patriots. If only they could make a field goal when they needed it. They would. I think that Super Bowl might have had a different outcome at the Vikings. Uh, uh, Gary Anderson. Uh, he, didn't miss yep. any, he didn't miss any field goals through the season. He waits until the playoffs. Wait until the <laughs> NFC Championship game to miss one. And then, you know, all the chips on the table and you roll of snake eyes. That, that, I, I love that team. I love that team. I'll be doing a podcast eventually on Randy Moss. Yep. Uh, that, in my opinion, Brent, second greatest wide receiver I've ever seen. And that 98 season that he had. That was magical, man. That, yeah. he, he was unguardable. You could, and he you could, dropped a little bit in that draft, didn't he? Because there was, there was a lot of, because cons- just like with Dan Marino, because Marino went twenty eighth in yep. his draft. All right, uh, there was rumors that Randy was uh, doing extracurricular activities mm-hmm. with recreational drugs. Uh, we found out it was only marijuana. Get the fuck out. Come yeah, on. that's no big. That's not that big a deal. I mean, it's no, but you know, back hard. then, marijuana was considered voodoo. Right? Uh, yes, Brent, you're an educator. Uh, you've been around young people most of your life. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you ever heard of a school shooting or or or, or a, a a gang war where the <laughs> the the combatants, the participants. We're high on marijuana. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Had nothing to do with that. Usually right. hardcore stuff if it's anything else. All right. So uh, uh, talk about that game and Roddy Pete just sticking it to the franchise that turned their back on them. Yes. You know, that I'm going to say this one. While the 94 playoff loss was disappointing, I'm going to call this one the most disappointing because this team, you got to remember with the Lions, they were coming in on a hot streak. They won seven in a row. Mitchell had a great year. He had 4,000 yards passing, 32 touchdowns. It looked like they finally, after decades, have found their quarterback, right? Uh, we, and and uh, we had talked about early in the program how Marino's Achilles injury was the, uh, was the reason why Mitchell got that huge contract. Um Detroit was the only team that wanted him, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, your Saints were going after two. Everybody wanted Scott Mitchell. Uh, yep. Even the, the god awful Jets wanted Scott Mitchell. Uh, so it, it uh, uh, the season he had in '95, I agree with you, uh, Brent. I thought, oh man, the Lions might have something there. Uh-huh. Um, we'll talk because more about that after this game. <laughs> decades of 
mediocre at best quarterbacks from well from my lifetime. Well, from look, Gary look, Danielson, you had Gary Hipple. Danielson, Eric yep. Hipple, Eric Kramer, Rodney, Rodney Pete, Andre Ware, Chuck Long. And then you get this guy, and he has a great season. Oh, this is the guy. We finally got it. You know, and then and you're going against Rodney Pete, who didn't have much of a season. He threw 14 interceptions and only eight touchdowns for the Eagles. And going into this game before it, Momus Brown opens his mouth and says, guarantees the victory. Does a Rashid Wallace, basically, before yes. he guarantees the win. We're going to go into Philly and beat the Eagles. Guarantee it. Well, yeah, but at least Rashid was a major factor in the yes. in the Pistons winning the world championship. Yes, he was. And there's a podcast you might want to do too sometime with that. I'm going Pistons to do team. a podcast on the 2004 Detroit Pistons because Brent, in my opinion, and you being a a, a, a native of, were you from Saginaw? Um, I'm I live in the Thumb, about an hour away from Saginaw. Okay, so you being a Michigan native. All right. Mm-hmm. You'll agree with this. So there'll be some bias on you. I'm not. I'm from New York. All right. Right. The 2003 slash 2004 Detroit Pistons in my 45 now 46 years of watching the NBA are the greatest defensive team in the history of the NBA. Right? By far. I mean, and they just throttle. You want to talk about the bad boys of the late 80s and 1990? Yeah, they had some great defensive players on that team. But not at any point in time did they have five guys on the court at the same time that could shut their men down. Yeah, I'm going to save this for the podcast. The 60s. But when I, I'm going to save it for when I do that podcast because that's going to be a, just about that year and that team. But mm-hmm. you look at that lineup, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Tyshawn Prince, and the Wallace boys. Yep. They were in your shorts. All right. They suffocated you. Ben Wallace was the, was like a reincarnation of Dennis Rodman. When they got him in the Grant Hill trade, and no one knew Grant Hill was going to have the injury problems he did, but turns out he won that this, trade. They won yeah, that this trade. This incredible defender who just explodes once he gets to Detroit, and he became the face of that franchise for the time he was there. That, uh, that, that was the that's one of the rare times they shut down two Hall of Fame scorers in the finals. That's incredible. Yeah. Shaq and Kobe at that time were unstoppable, and they 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 destroyed that Lakers team. That should have been a sweep if it wasn't for that miracle shot. They call All it right. the five game sweep. The so five anyway, we game get sweep. To that so, playoff game. Go ahead. And again, Rodney Pete, mediocre numbers. Lomas guarantees. Guarantees a win, but as Barry, they say ha- Barry another, has Barry has yep. a mediocre game. Yep, and as they say in another podcast, then the bell rang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's seven to seven at one point, but then the the 40, uh, forty-four consecutive points. Yeah, it's fifty-one to seven. At How one the point. hell do you allow that? That that Eagles team wasn't a great offensive team. It was more a defensive team, and they were not, a great defensive team and a running team. They had no. They, they had no throwing game and 51 yeah, and they, points on a Lions team that had been solid defensively all year. They controlled Barry Sanders. He didn't do too much in that game. He only had 40 yards rushing on 10 carries. Scott Mitchell imploded. He had he had the deer in the headlights look the whole game. He threw four interceptions on the time. He got yanked in the he, he, third he, quarter. He, he had a Gary Danielson game. By the way, oh, uh, yes. Brent, Brent recently told me in 
and he posted on on Twitter that uh, eBay has a Gary Danielson jersey <laughs> out there for fifty dollars, and I told him that's forty nine dollars and fifty cents too much. Let me know if you ever find a Scott Mitchell jersey because probably about the same price. I did find a small one, and it's like, why would anyone? Why would anybody want this? It's like I, I get, I have my Charlie Batch one. I mean, I have a Joey Harrington one, but these guys like Gary Danielson. That's my dad's favorite personal whipping boy back in the eighties. I told my dad the price of that Danielson jersey. He says, "Well, that's about ten bucks for every interception you threw in that playoff game against the 49ers. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, ten bucks for every interception. Um, yep. you should get that. You should get both the Scott Mitchell and <laughs> Gary Danielson jerseys and hang it up. And if your father throws darts, I mean, whenever he's angry, he could just try hit hit the number right in the middle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Dad says he if he ever gets a chance to meet Billy Sims, he wants to ask him about that playoff game in '83. Say, so what was your thoughts on your your quarterback doing that? <laughs> And they still were a field goal away from winning it all. Yeah, if yeah. Eddie Murray, the most reliable, one of the most reliable kickers the Lions have ever had. You ever noticed, Brent, that in historically close games in which the field goal kicker blows a makeable kick, that up until that point, and even past that point, they've had borderline or damn near Hall of Fame careers? Eddie Murray? Yes. Gary Anderson? Yep. Mike Vandercheck, when he blew that chip shot against the Steelers, had the highest field goal made percentage in the history of the NFL. Yep. After that, he became Nick Anderson, unable to hit a free throw anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, Scott Norwood. Scott Norwood was a credible kicker. Never the yes, same. Never the same after that giant, that uh, wide right. Oh my God. Oh. So. Um... It's Cold always, it's never a bum. It's never a kicker no. that's like, oh, it's always it's, a great kicker. That, that's why when it's late in the game, and oh, uh, oh, uh, recently, recently, uh, I think recently, within the last 10 years, uh, my memory's a little off. You might remember this. The Ravens might have blown a game with a chip shot field goal in the playoffs against the Patriots from their great field goal kicker. I think you're right. I can't remember the what. Uh, yeah, the, I, so I did a po- I did a podcast on Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, and my co-host brought up that game twice because he's still bitter about it. So, <laughs> it, 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 so that that game is fresh in my mind. I just forgot that I forgot what year, and I forgot the name of the kicker. But wasn't it's over, was it? Whoever it was has had an incredible career. That's why a uh, kudos to Matt Barr, who won Super Bowls with the Steelers and the Giants. He never blew a big game. <laughs> That's one thing about the Lions, as rough as they had a uh, history they had over 60 years, you can say one thing they've had outstanding kickers over the last several decades. Eddie Murray and Jason Hansen being the two yep. best. Yes. And pra- Matt Prater. And, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, they. But the Lions, after that awful season, I mean, that awful loss in that season, they had a great year. I mean, loaded offense, second highest scoring offense in the league. Barry had a big year, 1,500 yards again. Herman Moore has a big season, 1,686 yards. I think he led the league in receiving Mm -hmm. yards. Scott Mitchell broke the team record book. I mean, again, that's not saying much. Look at their history of quarterbacks. Now, Stafford Stafford won a breaking that single season record, right? Yeah, he – Stafford, I think, pretty much owns all the team's records for passing Uh, um, It's going to be – 
probably after your grandkids are your age yeah. now before somebody breaks staff its individual team records. <laughs> yeah, because I think I said it earlier, you look at this franchise's history between Bobby Lane in the 50s and Matt Stafford who just left with other than Greg Landry in the 70s, you've had just stiff after stiff in quarterbacks over the years. They've had nothing. All right, and, we're gonna we're gonna skip over 1996 because it was yeah, not awful. awful year. And we're gonna go to 97, which was Barry's last playoff run. Talk about that. Yep. So yeah, Fonz gets fired after the 96 season because they had put a playoffs or else mandate. Mm-hmm. Ownership put a playoffs or else mandate on it. And of course they failed. And Fonz gets fired, even though Barry has yet another good year, similar numbers as he had last year in 95. Fonz gets fired after about nine, ten years, and they decide, usually what teams do is like, well, if we hire, we had a defensive coach and that didn't work out, we'll go with offense. If we had a coach that's a, you know, player's coach, we'll go with a disciplinary, and that's what the Lions do. They go and bring in um, Bobby Ross, who just fresh off a couple years ago going to the Super Bowl with the Chargers, and he had coached at VMI in Maryland, Georgia Tech, and he has a much different approach mm-hmm. to the game. He's a very very detailed and he's hardworking, demands respect. Barry, there, if you get a chance to get Barry Sanders' autobiography from several years ago called Now You See Him, I, I recommend it. It's a good book. He talks about Ross and he said, there's a caption of, by a picture of Bobby Ross and Barry said, Ross seemed to be the type of guy that had very little fun in football. He had his quirks, and like he was an old school. He didn't like it when his team helped up players from the other side. He, uh, again, demanded and deserved respect. But as I remember sports talk radio at that time was referring to Bobby Ross as the general Robert Ross III. <laughs> but on the other hand, Barry says, you know, the guy emphasized a running game. He's an old school. He, yeah, he's an old, he's a old, he's a old school defense and the yeah. running game, yeah, and which was which were to be honest with you, that was that was the lion's strength. Yep, and Barry had his biggest season with them. I mean, he had that was his two thousand yard season. Yes, and the start off that season, he did almost nothing of rushing. He only had fifty three yards for the first two games, and and then he talk. became only the second running back. And I believe this is still a fact. Uh, people could correct me. It's only been two running backs in the history of the NFL. To have 14 consecutive 100-yard games, I believe that's, so. That's what Barry did. That's, that's the that's game. that's the butcher of Brentwood and <laughs> Barry Sanders. Yep, that's the guy that used to slash up defenses and uh, among other things. But anyway, first two games, the Lions are one one. Barry has 53 total yards, so the media is starting to point out, well, is he getting older? You know, he's getting close to 30. Is they starting to slow down? Barry doesn't believe he's doing that. He said he's a uh, he's producing. He's getting uh, passing yards too. Week three he goes to Chicago, and he this is where he starts getting on a roll. He torches the Bears. Got 161 yards and 19 carries. So he's averaging about eight. Point five yards a carry. The Lions gave the Bears a seven nothing lead and scored thirty two in a row on them. And Bobby Ross, this is his first experience as a head coach of seeing Barry Sanders in vintage Barry Sanders form. So he said, he Ross says he took blame for Barry's slow start, and then he says, "It felt we just had to be patient. 
with them and get a feel for things. It's very ran real well, and boy, it's nice when this guy's on your side when he gets hot, and he was hot today. And it just he just keeps on going. The Lions just stumble off to a iffy start. They follow that game up with the Bears losing to your Saints 35-17. to mm-hmm. And I can't even remember any of the great Saints. Any Saints had any stud players back then. I think Billy no. Joe Holbert was a quarterback. They, 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 that was a transition. That was before the the abysmal Mike Dicker reign. Yep. That only lasted a couple of years, thank God, where he damn near traded the entire draft for Ricky Williams. Yeah, but who was a great player, but that's no player's ever worth that much. And then it's, that's a knock on the Redskins or whatever you want to call them these days. Yeah, day. because, you know, it's crazy, right? Usually when you uh, when the team benefits from all those draft choices, they build a championship-like team. The Cowboys. Yeah, when they trade Herschel Walker to the Vikings to get a bunch of draft picks. Yep. And but yeah, Redskins can never do that. It's kept on being mediocre. So again, keep on going. Week six, um, Lions lose twenty-two to thirteen at Buffalo, and Barry again rushes for one hundred seven yards. This is his fourth straight hundred-yard game. But unfortunately, he's also tackled for a safety late in the game. Eventually, turning to be the deciding factor. That was the mm-hmm. so. I, again, that's. I don't know if Barry Sanders is a type of runner you want to have coming out of the end zone, but hey, that's the Lions, and that's a, when he, it's a yeah, great running back. Unless, unless, unless you tell him in the huddle, just go straight up the middle. Don't yep. try to don't 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 try to do magic, because there's no room in the end zone to do the no. Barry magic. No. Nope. And then, of course, play the play the Buccaneers, an improved Buccaneers team, by the way. This is like. This is Tony Dungy's second year, and they're starting to get better. So we talked about earlier how the NFC Central was kind of a weak division where you just had Minnesota and a couple, a few other uh, passies. And now at this now, point, now you now you have uh, Minnesota, Green Bay, yep. and Tampa. So yeah, and the Lions are still a, you know, a contender. So yeah. this is a tough division. And but as as he always did, yeah, because in the '97 play, right '97. The Packers, the Vikings, and the Lions made the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, all four of them did. I the think Bucks all four too? Of them did. Yeah, Buccaneers, because the Lions right, didn't wait, 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 hold the on, you only had I, two, I don't know if it was. Wait, the, no, it, you only had two did. wild cards back then, I believe. I don't think all four made it. Maybe it was the Vikings. The Vikings beat the Giants in the first round of playoffs that year. Okay. Right? Okay. Uh, and the Packers won the Super Bowl that year. Yeah. All uh, right. But the Lions uh, played the Buccaneers, so it might have been. No, actually, they lost to the to the to the Broncos in the Super Bowl that year. But uh, okay, but they did they 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 won the division, and the Lions mm-hmm. made the playoffs. So three yeah. of the five teams made the playoffs. Because yep. it's only recently you had three wild cards. It was Back the Bears then, was, that missed it. Yeah, the Bears and, were a garbage team. And and the Bucks barely missed it. Yep. So anyway, they face the Bucks, and Barry goes off again. They go 215. He goes 215 yards. And two touchdowns, and Charlie Vincent commenting on the Lions uh, beating up on the Buccaneers. He says the Lions made a tackling dummy on uh, Trent Dilfer, but all the glory in this game belongs to Barry Sanders because Barry passed Jim Brown, is now fourth on the all-time list, and he's just going to keep moving on up throughout this season. I think he started at sixth, and he's just going to keep going up and up to the point he's at um, second, uh, second behind only Walter Payton. And so they go into the bye week, 
And then they lose to the Giants, 26 to 20 in overtime. And the first serious injury hits I, this team. I, uh, you know, that Giant team, uh, I believe Danny Cannell was the quarterback. They had finally so, yep. they had finally told Dave Brown to get the fuck out of town. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And there's concerns, there's comparisons to the 5-11 and 11 season the previous year because they were both 4-4 four and four at this point. Their stats are nearly identical. It's like Barry, Herman Moore, Scott Mitchell all had similar stats between those two years. There was a serious injury that happened. There's going to be another one that happens later. There was a player on the defensive side named Harry Cologne who ended up suffering a severe neck injury that ended up finishing off his career. He was done after that. And at this game... There's also was talk about rowdy about the fans getting rowdy in the stands. That's typical with the Silverdome. The fans over the Silverdome were a pretty rough group, and so five people were arrested, seven were ejected from the game, and there was citations for drinking in the parking lot. So, going to the Silverdome back then, it was not unusual to see people fighting, but it was this must have been pretty rough back in that game. And let me ask you a question. Is yeah. the Silverdome still up or did they finally destroy it? They tore it down a few years ago. There was, it was about like three years ago, they, they let that thing rot for years. It sat vacant yeah. for years. There was talk of maybe converting into soccer, a soccer stadium, having like multiple levels. They thought about doing that and then they deflated the roof and then it just went down the toilet. It was, it, they showed pictures of it and it was just, mold and moss growing all over the place and the some parts of it were flooded and they finally tore it down and there was jokes about because they imploded the first time it was supposed to bring down that top level and nothing really happened Mm. and they thought oh there you go failed again it's a lot of failures this stadium and before we continue with 97 because i love talking to my guest about historical stadiums and arenas in their hometown Explain to me again. You tried to explain to me one day, and I'm still confused. So mm-hmm. explain to me why Joe Louis Arena no longer exists. Why why, why couldn't you guys keep Joe Louis Arena? Why did you um, have to build a new arena in Little Caesars Arena? You couldn't keep Joe Louis Arena? I think the reason was when Detroit went through bankruptcy, one of the parts of one of the deals was the land that Joe Louis Arena was on was going to be sold and turned into a um, res- uh, Hotel use or something where you can is generate that, is, is that the guy? What was what's the guy? Uh, Daniel, what's the guy's name? He um, uh, I think he's the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. What's the guy's name? He, Daniel. Who's the, it, 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 did they sell it to Daniel Gilbert? I don't believe they did. I'm not sure who they sold to, but they, that was part of the deal. That's why Joe. Because I have several friends from Detroit, of yep. uh, of, of Brenton. They tell me that the Daniel Gil, Gilbert is the number one employer. In Detroit, metropolitan Detroit. Is that true? There are two people that have done a lot for that city since the mm-hmm. 80s, and one of them was Mike Illich. Mm-hmm. And, you know, keeping the Wings and the Tigers both in downtown, right. restoring right. the Fox Theater. It's just a gorgeous theater now. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know anything about the Fox Theater, you've been to New York. That's their equivalent of the Apollo. Yes. Because that's where that was. And all the legendary yeah. Detroit musicians. Yes. Get their start at the Fox Theater. Yep, that's the that was pretty much the home base for Motown for concerts at least. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, since then you uh, we, um, it, for those who are hip hop fans, Big Sean and um, 
what's my man's name? Uh, Royce the five foot nine, and then of course uh, Soul Music, Keith Washington. They all got their big starts performing yep. at the Fox Theater. Because Keith Washington, on a recent documentary I saw, Brent said when he played the Fox Theater, that's when he knew he had he, he had made it. <laughs> so it. that that's 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 Michigan's Apollo. So uh, so Mike and Mike Eldridge and who else? Mike Illich and uh, Dan Gilbert are the ones right. that are just doing uh, dumped so much money in that city, yeah. and that was part of the reason. Again, it was the bankruptcy that eventually they were looking at building a new stadium in Detroit for the Wings. That, bro- that, that broke my heart because the Joe yeah. Louis Arena is so the much only, history in that building. Was the only arena in the United States named after a legendary athlete, mm-hmm. where you had professional teams play. The Red Wings played there for years. Yeah, they've. That was there were talks back in the seventies that because where Olympia Stadium was at was in a pretty sketchy part of town. It's on Grand River. Oh, let me ask you another question. Oh, Olympia yeah. Stadium and Cobo Hall were in it. Were they in the same area? Uh, no, Cobo Hall was on was on the waterfront. Is uh, Cobo Hall closer to? Was, Cobo Hall was closer to Joe Lewis? Yes. Okay. Yep. Right. Yeah. So when there was talk back in the seventies that when because the neighborhood started to go down the tubes and. Uh, Olympia was getting old. They thought, well, we might go with the Pontiac and have a stadium that crossed from the Silverdome. And then Detroit stepped up at the last minute and said, hey, we'll build you a stadium. And they built Joe Lewis. And so, yeah, that's, they've been they've been talking about replacing Joe Lewis for years. And I think that the uh, that bankruptcy was the thing that kind of got the thing moving and getting in motion. So in, in, as, as far as logistics go, where Little Caesars Arena is as compared to where Joe Lewis Arena was, is it in the same area or a different part of the city? Um, it's a little further away. It's like where, I think it's near where Fox Theater and uh, Comerica Park and Ford Field are at. It's, it's Okay, so it's all in the same area. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Joe Lewis is right near the uh, Detroit River. Okay. So, by Cobo, so. So, yeah, that's... Uh, so back to this season, we get on. The Lions are four and six heading into the bye. They drop. After that, they start. They win three straight games to prove in seven and six, and Barry just keeps on going. He's 108 yards against the Vikings, which is impressive because that's a, you know, one of the tougher teams in the division. And then week 13, he. Now that's that's the that's the team that was uh that was a defense spearheaded by John Randall. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And the following week, they play a bad Colts team and blow them out. And and Barry, go. It's a great. It's a great weekend for Michigan football in Michigan in general because you had Barry has a big game, goes 216 yards. The Lions trash the Colts, and then that and the previous Saturday, University of Michigan clinches the Rose Bowl trip, and they're number one in the nation. So that's a, Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson yep. on that team. Yeah. Yes, he was. Charles Woodson, who is who is the only defensive player ever to win a Heisman Trophy. And I remember watching that season, and just he was just astounding. He'd be on offense, he'd be on so defense. He Charles Charles Woodson turn. doesn't get the recognition he deserves uh, on a short list. You he you can make an argument he's the greatest player ever to play for the University of Michigan in terms of what he did on the field. All right. Yes. And one of the greatest corners in the history of the game. And yes. he made the Hall of Fame. I believe he's in the College Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Incredible career. Yep. 
Charles Woodson. Um, just I, I loved one. Uh, the only Raider jersey I ever bought was a Charles Woodson jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching that Michigan season, and it's the things that he would do was just stunning. The one-handed catch against the interception against Michigan State, the single-handedly helping Michigan beat Ohio State, a good, a tough Ohio State team back when Michigan actually could beat Ohio State, but. Just he won. He won defensive team. player of the year for the Packers, and he got torched in the playoffs mm-hmm. by Plaxico Burris. Yep. I mean, I know he's an all-time great corner. He was defensive player of the year, but can somebody give him help? Plaxico ate him for breakfast, lunch. He raped him. He yep. raped him on that field. <laughs> Michigan State receiver. So Again, maybe yeah, look at that. that. Michigan State going up against Michigan. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we, get into, so we get into Thanksgiving Day game. They're playing an awful Bears team. This is the one. This is the team in the Central that missed the playoffs that year. The Bears were like well, two the, and well, the Bucks. The Bucks didn't make the playoffs either. Yeah, they did. They they faced the Lions in the playoffs. That Wait, was hold, a, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Minnesota made the playoffs. They 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 beat the Giants. You had three wild cards that year, or did they split up? Uh, check. I don't have. I don't. I do this off the top of my head. Check your uh uh the playoffs that year. I'm checking it right now. 97. Because yep. I remember the Lions lost to ten. All right, we're going to get to that playoff game, but uh, unless they no, they they had they split the 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 divisions. Uh, let's see. Check it yes, out. Yes, four four teams made. Green Bay was thirteen and three. Tampa was ten and six. Were they Lions all in the same Vikings division? Nine seven. Yep, all in the same division. It does like the last. Oh, it makes sense. My bad. My bad. Yeah. My bad. Because I'm thinking of four and two. My bad. You're right, Brent. Back then it was three and three. Yep. Back then you had three divisions: the East, the Central, and the West. Right. Yep. Yes. And you had three wild cards to make the sixteen. My sixteen. My bad. Mm-hmm. I'm yep. thinking when it became four divisions and two wild cards. Now it's four and three. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're playing the Bears that game. Seven is still three and three. Detroit, Green Bay, and might have been the first time that a division had four playoff teams. Yeah, it, it, you look back, gosh, that division was tough. I mean, Packers were a world beater. This came off a Super Bowl. You had the uh, the Lions were a contender. They were usually a good between. You know, they might have a rough year here and there, but they were usually between nine and ten wins. They were mm-hmm. battling for the playoffs. Vikings were Dennis Green always had the Vikings contenders, mm-hmm. and Buccaneers are starting to come up with Tony Dungy and with Warren Tony Sapp. Dungy. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, the only right. the wild card was the Bears. Were usually, you know, Bears were nothing too special. They had some decent years, but they uh, the, were the, the Bears have had in the nineties. The Bears had a dry run. They didn't yep. come. I mean, they had that one Super Bowl in in the last uh, fifteen years, but other than that, they really haven't been. Uh, a powerhouse, not like yeah, the mediocre. not like the yep. Bears of the '80s that were perennial powerhouse. Yeah, I mean they had Eric Kramer as a quarterback. I remember, I remember Howie Long on Fox uh, NFL Sunday making a remark saying, you know, the Bears would be better off having Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld as a quarterback versus it Eric is, Kramer. It is crazy that you had all these past their prime. Close to their pension, Social Security quarterbacks in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
the Magic Man, the Magic Man shouldn't have been nowhere near a football field. Yep. Right? And uh, Frank Chuck Wright. Long, is Frank White. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Eric Kramer. Oh my Eric God. Kramer. Then one thought that Eric Kramer was still, and I'm, and not the, I'm sure Eric Kramer's a fine gentleman, but to think that he's your starting quarterback at this point of his career, uh, no. <laughs> I, it, anyway, it sounds like they. Yeah. It sounds like they were a uh, uh, sabotage in the season for a high draft choice. Go ahead. <laughs> so you go to the Thanksgiving. Oh, by the way, one last question about yeah. the '97 sure. season. What yeah. was the Bears' record that year? I think at that point it was two and ten. They finished four and twelve. So they were awful. Let me tell you something. If I coach that team to four wins, I'm getting a raise. That team was horrible. <laughs> yeah, was Dave Wanstead. I think it was his last year there. Uh, Dave Wanstead, another guy. Who, fuck you, Chris Matt Fraud Russo, who was a beneficiary. Talk about be- benefiting from coaching great players, right? Him he and was, North Turner. Yeah. Uh, they both worked for Jimmy Johnson. I believe Dave once that was Jimmy Johnson's best friend. They got job after job after job. Yeah. But because uh, once that went to Miami after that, didn't he? Yeah. They, they coached great players. Of course you're going to get a head coaching opportunity if you coach great players. What kind of logic is that? Exactly. So, yeah, so the Bears are awful going in this game. The Lions are 6-6, six and six and the Lions are Before, you, before you continue, no yeah. one is going to give the Giants offensive coordinator a head coaching job after having to deal with Danny the Bum Dimes. All right, get out of here. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. The only one that gave him a job is the one he came off of with the, with the Cowboys. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, they made him a consultant, right? Uh, Jason I, Garrett? Jason Garrett. Wasn't he the offensive coordinator this past year? No, but year? Didn't, didn't the Cowboys make him a consultant? That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Jerry Mike Jones. McCarthy, look out. If they if Jason Garrett's <laughs> back as a consultant, he, you know, he's a phone call away from taking your job. If, if I'm Sean Payton, and we're we're talking about this, it happened like a week after, yeah, after Payton he was resigned. Yeah. If yeah. I'm Sean Payton, I don't touch that Cowboys job with a 10-foot pole because – Jerry, Jerry Jones. Yeah, Jerry Jones. It's going to offer him the moon, and it's going to lie to him. It's going to tell him the same thing he told Parcells. I'm going to give you total control. You can draft whoever you want to draft. I won't interfere. Uh, He ran Parcells out of town because he kept calling Parcells. How the hell do you tell one of the greatest coaching minds in the history of the business, right, uh, what you should call? Another reason why Jimmy Johnson had to go, because you, this guy can't leave it alone. He's yeah. he's the George Steinbrenner of the NFL. He thinks he knows. Oh. If it wasn't for Jimmy Johnson, what would what would uh, Jerry Jones have won as a coach? That's just it. I mean, he has Jer- he has Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, he has Jimmy Johnson to thank for. Without that. Jimmy Johnson, he's James Dolan, a, an owner who interferes and makes millions and doesn't have to win anything. Yep. and that's it. That's what Jerry Jones is. If he didn't bring in his college roommate. Jimmy Johnson to run the Cowboys those first four years. All right, continue. Exactly. So they get in that Thanksgiving day game again. Two and ten Bears, six and six Lions, and the Lions just annihilate Chicago. It's it, they spotted the uh, spotted the Bears a fourteen nothing lead. Bears are up fourteen nothing early in the game, but then the Lions just destroyed them fifty five to six. 
at 55 and 6 from there on out. And Barry goes for 167 yards, three touchdowns. That's 11 straight games. He's had a 100 yard game. John Madden and Pat Summerall are calling the game for Fox, and they're like, John Madden says there may have been a better runner, but I have never seen him. Pat Summerall says you just got to sit and watch and marvel. And you, uh, Ross, I want to make yeah. I want to make it a comparison between, and these are the two greatest running backs I've ever seen, and that's Walter Payton and Barry Sanders. Their careers are eerily similar. Neither one ever played with a legit quarterback. No, both carried the teams on their backs. The only difference was Payton got a real good coach late in his career and a legendary defense. And that's yes. how he got his championship. Yep. Otherwise, he would have wound up just like Barry Sanders. Yeah, um, because he those guys carried, Payton carried bad teams to the playoffs. Bad teams to the mm-hmm. playoffs. Right? Just like Barry Sanders did. Yep, it's a it's it's same thing. When we go back to Stafford. You look at Barry and you look at Stafford. Say, like how many games for the Lions have actually won if they didn't have those two studs? You you made the playoffs five times with Barry, right? Uh, five or six, yes. Okay. Well, six, no, ba- six times in the nineties. Yeah, but, but five, five times with Barry because one year was yes. without him. He, yes. he had already retired. Yep. Uh, you take away Barry and you put it. You, I've said this a million times. Switch Barry and Emmitt Smith. Let's just say the Cowboys end up with Emmitt Smith and the Lions. I mean, the Cowboys end up with Barry Sanders and the Lions end up with Emmitt Smith. The Cowboys win four or five Super Bowls, not three. Mm-hmm. And the Lions never make the playoffs. Yeah, that's, I agree. I, I could see that because Barry didn't have the offensive line that Emmitt had. Not yeah, Lobos Brown and what was the center? Kevin name Glover. Again? Kevin that's Glover. That's it. Wow. That cowboy t- uh, offensive line from 1992 to 1996, in my opinion, was the greatest offensive line in the history of football. They, yeah. they, you, you, they, that was a wall. Troy Aikman, and by the way, talk about overrated quarterbacks. Yeah, he won three Super Bowls. Troy Aikman was nothing to write home about. Uh, check your check his numbers when you get a chance. They're mediocre at best. He threw a bunch of interceptions. He didn't throw a lot of touchdowns, but he would throw big. He would get big plays when he needed, and he had Emmitt Smith running behind that wall. Troy Aikman was nothing to write home about. Okay, yeah. all right. So if you have Aikman with Barry Sanders there, Aikman has bigger numbers. Yep. And oh my God, they win four or five Super Bowls. Uh, and Barry easily passes Walter Payton for the rushing championship. I mean, he came. Uh, with the he, Lions. He, he would have done it in his eighth season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he would have probably hit it 2,000 yards a couple times. Yeah. He would have obliterated that record to the point where no one could break it. Uh, Emmett Smith's record is breakable, but uh, Barry yep. would have had over 20,000, probably 22,000 rushing yards when it was all said and done. All right. Exactly. So continue with the 97 season. <laughs> so, again, they come off that Thanksgiving game, day game. They lose... Uh, 33-30 at Miami. Barry again, 137 yards. What they did Marino the- do in that game? Oh. What was his number? I wouldn't surprise me he won. I I'm wouldn't sure surprise he had a great game. Yeah. And so week 16, the Lions beat, beat the Vikings in Minnesota, which is a, a rare one because Barry, ha- again, Barry has another big game. 
And the Lions went on the last-minute drive. It was a one-yard touchdown pass to Herman Moore. And it would basically say the season, because they lose this game, forget about next week because they're out. Right. They go in week 17, and they're facing a Bill Parcells and the vastly improved New York Jets, who are both teams going in this game 8-7. and seven. It's a win-or-your-end win game. Both teams lose. Either team loses, goes home. Either yep. team wins, goes to the playoffs. So this because, is a leave town fight. Yeah, and this is a Jets team. I believe the previous year they were one in fifteen under Rich Kotite. with the god awful Neil O'Donnell at quarterback. Yep. Yeah. It was the that god, who fu- who fucks up the game, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> and and the. Barry has a big game. He's like 131 yards away from the 2,000-yard mark. And the Jets jump up to a 10 to nothing lead in the first quarter, and the Lions slowly start battling back. They take the lead in the fourth, and Barry, he gets the 2,000 yards, so he's close. But then he takes off. He's got a 50-yard run down to the five-yard line. The crowd just going insane. And speaking of the crowd, let me ask you this: All the years you've watched football, and all the all the years I've watched football, I can't remember if I've ever heard it. All the years that you watch football, have you ever heard of a case where a team says, where the officials say, "We need the fans to quiet down"? So I, they, I did not. I remember watching this game, and I don't know where did they get this from. Um, yeah. If 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 hindsight being twenty twenty. I didn't see any evidence of this or heard of any evidence after the game, but Parcells likes to work the officials mm-hmm. and maybe Parcells got into the umpire's ear and said, look, man, you know, this is unfair. Uh, uh, they're, they're making more than more, more than normal noise. Can you just tell them to, if they don't quiet down that you'll flag them for a 15 yard uh, penalty? That's <laughs> ridiculous. I wouldn't be surprised because Parcells was a master manipulator. Yes, yes, he was. He wasn't just a great coach because he hit, you know, he won a bunch of games. The man knew how to work the officials, too. And I think Give him all that, the credit I, in the world. Now, now, I'm pontificating here. I have no proof. But yeah. why else would that? Because that doesn't happen anywhere else. I mean, Kansas City, that was, Philadelphia, New Orleans, those stadiums are loud. I never heard yeah. of that. Seattle. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that was the loudest I've ever heard. That's the Silverdome. That place was just going crazy. And I remember they would do that. You know, that they say, we can't call a play. And the refs say, hey, you have to quiet down. Or we're going to flag him for a delay game. We've, we've got the defense to help us up. If you can't be quiet, we're going to call. Did, 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 you, did you watch this game on YouTube recently like you did? The other uh, game? Yes. Yes, I did. All right, you didn't see any evidence of Parcells talking to the officials? No. I think I saw Neil O'Downs kind of stand around like it was in his head. Like, oh, I, I can't do it. They're looking for And Neil O'Donnell's got the fucking nerve. He played in Pittsburgh for years, which has always been loud. Come on. Yep. It, it's funny. They would quiet. They were boo. The fans would be booing, but they did quiet down a little bit. And then the Jets would snap the ball, and then they'd scream at the top of their lungs. So... The Lions come back and win that game, but there was a, a scary moment in that game. There was a player that first that was a first round pick, a defensive player named Reggie Brown, and he got injured on an attempted tackle. The Lions it, player. It, it 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 gave me Dennis Bird vibes. Yeah, and Mike Utley and, and Mike because, Utley. Yes, there yep, was a very scary situation. 
Yeah, because he rams his head in the back. He's trying to make a tackle, and he ends up ramming his head in the back of a of a Levant Burns, a Jets guard, and he was on the ground, and Luther Ellis comes over to off his hands and get on up, and the guy says, I can't move, and he was down. It was he was down for 17 minutes to the point where he stopped breathing, and he needed to be given mouth to mouth. I mean, he nearly died on the field. They had to bring the ambulance on the field, and and he eventually, thankfully, made a full recovery. He's walking to this day, but he never played football again. And so again, it's bringing back the memories of you know Harry Cologne that got hurt earlier in the year. You got Mike Utley that was paralyzed in '91. There was another player 20 years earlier named Chuck Hughes that uh, had on-field death. He suffered from arteriosclerosis. Hey, hey, don't forget Dennis Bird, a former Jet. Yep, and Dennis yeah. Bird, Bird, yep, a Jet. And thankfully, Reggie Brown is still alive. He's still, he still he recovered, but he never played football again. And and, and from my childhood, Daryl Stingley in an exhibition game. Mm. And, Jack uh, Tatum, but, Jack Tatum took his head off and he was paralyzed in an exhibition game. In an ex, yeah, what a way to go! You exhibit meaningless exhibition game. Your career and your life is your career is over, and your life has changed. So they get back in the playoffs the third time in four years, and they get to face the Buccaneers. At, at Tampa Bay. And the Berries run for 14 straight games of 100 yards ends right there. He's limited to 65 yards and 18 carries. Scott Mitchell once again implodes under pressure. He only he throws for 78 yards and an interception before he leaves the game. The third, he had a concussion. He got wheeled off the field, too. He's like, geez, another player getting hurt like this, and you need to bring the stretchers out. That 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 Buccaneers defense would become incredible. Yeah, I mean, this was the early stages. Uh, Dungy built a sensational team, and yep. I mentioned it earlier, man. It's a criminal that he builds that team, and they fire him right before they win it all. Unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. So Mitchell leaves and Frank Reich takes over. And we remember Frank Reich from the big comeback against yep. the Buffalo the Bills Oilers. for the yeah, against me, the Oilers for the Bills. Yep, for the Bills, right? Yeah. Yep. So he, the Lions score a touchdown. And he's leading them down the field. It, it's getting close to towards the end of the game. And but he's leading them down the field. And they rush up to the line of scrimmage and he goes and spikes the ball to stop the clock. And I'm watching the game with my dad, and my dad just yells out, what are you doing? He and spiked it on fourth down. Fourth down. <laughs> it's like, boy, is that typical Lions. <laughs> and the Buccaneers just run off the clock, and that's their let first me, Let me tell you win. something. I, uh, I I could empathize with you. Uh, yep. Uh, a few years later, uh, this was uh, early 2000s. I forgot what year. Uh, this is before Sean Payton. I believe this is the Jim Hazlitt era. Okay. Uh, the Saints score on a miracle uh, uh, Cali- uh, California Bears play where everybody touches the ball yep. and they score, right? And mm-hmm. they, miss, they miss the extra point attempt to send the game into overtime. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the Lions botch an extra point or two. And Dad says he's watched these bums for 60 years, 50 some years. And I mean, but you go through all of that. You go through all of that. Yep. It was like a 90 some yard uh, uh, kickoff return where like 10 players touched the ball, all right? <laughs> they mm-hmm. go through all of that just for the field goal kicker to miss the extra point attempt. <laughs> uh, well, something similar. We didn't go for the extra point, but remember the Bahamas Bowl several years ago where Central Michigan was playing and they had that big. Uh, 
Oh, uh, it was a kick up, big kickoff return. It was this, this four or five different laterals, and they score in the score the touchdown with uh, no time left on the clock. And it's like, okay, you're down by one. The usual logic says kick the extra point and send it in overtime. Well, they went for two. Head coach, yeah, Dan Enos decides to go for two, and they missed the two point conversion, lose the game. I'm still hey, uh, Harbaugh did it twice this year for the Ravens. They would have made the playoffs. Mm. They right. lost two games. If you remember, they twice this year they could have tied the game with seconds left on an extra point, and both times they went for two, and both times they got stopped. It's one All of right. those plays like you look like a genius if you do it, and you look like a total fool if you miss it. So they missed. They lose to the Bucks, and then 98, yep. 98 was a horrible year. We won't go through it. Yep. They nah. missed the playoffs, and now we go to the most important part of the Lions franchise history is they basically ran Barry out of town. Talk about yeah. it. Talk about the situation. Talk about why Barry decided to retire and the Lions total mishandling of this situation. Um, after that 5-11 and 11 season, Barry had another good year. He just missed getting 1,500 yards that year. He had 1,491. It wasn't a bad... His last game... As a NFL player, he only rushed for 41 yards, but again, no one's thinking that that's it. That's the last you've seen of him. Barry, uh, Bobby Ross gave Barry Sanders a June 1st deadline to decide if he was coming back because there were rumblings whether he was going to be done. And and Barry never responded. So Bobby Ross mentioned in that uh, a football life documentary about Barry. And by the way, if you want to watch that, it's on YouTube. I, I recommend it. And Bobby Ross said, well, if he didn't call, I'm kind of figuring nothing's going to change. Barry had been getting frustrated. The, the last couple of years, they've been getting rid of a lot of talented veteran players. He was mostly frustrated with uh, Chuck Schmidt, who was the general manager, who had been a, yeah, more or less a general manager. He'd taken over for the Russ Thomas back in the late 80s. And it's a bit of a bean counter, more of a businessman, not a football guy. So Barry's noticing a lot of his teammates are starting to leave Benny Blades, Kevin Glover, Chris Spielman, Lomas Brown. And he's getting a feeling that the Lions are going into a rebuild. They're not exactly committed to winning. So this awful season, and he's not he's starting to feel a little burnout. And Barry said in his book, he thought it was burnout, and everything around him told told him it was time to move on. As he got older, he just didn't need the the thrill anymore. And he felt like the team was starting to go back to what they were when he started. So you get the training camp, the eve of training camp, he sent, he doesn't have a press conference. That's not Barry's thing. Barry Sanders is the most, you know, quiet, is a quiet superstar. He's not going to bring attention most, to himself. He's the most selfless superstar yes. I've ever seen in the history of the NFL. He's on that Walter Payton level where yep. he doesn't seek the limelight. He doesn't seek attention. We forgot to mention this. I don't ever recall one time Barry Sanders spiking the ball after the touchdown. Nope. He always, his dad says, oh, amazing. He always knew where the referee was. He just flipped the ball to the referee. And I think his pops him. also told him, whenever you score a touchdown, act like you've been there before. Exactly. Yep. And he'd yeah. say that that's, I've been there before. This is my job. This is my job. And also, he retires, right, with mm -hmm. 99 rushing touchdowns. Exactly. <laughs> Remember, he appeared on uh, 
late show with David Letterman years after he retired when he, when he was put on the uh, cover of Madden 25 mm-hmm. and Letterman's reading off his stats and those 99 yards, 99 uh, touchdowns as a, I'm going to round that up to hundred. It's going to sound better anyway. <laughs> so anyway, Barry retires. Oh, he oh, oh, oh yeah. we, we talked about this prior to doing this podcast, probably the two most selfless, Athletes in the history of Detroit sports, Michigan sports, Joe Dumas and Barry Sanders. Yep, and again, I throw Steve Eiserman in there too because yeah, yeah, you mentioned Steve Eiserman to me, right? Yep. Right, where they never sought attention, they yep. got on the field, they gave a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. They what? Uh, unfortunately, Walter did, Eiserman and and Joe did. They they won, and they were gentlemen on and, and off the field. It was the talk about that they they led by example, but if right. they spoke, people listened. They didn't speak much, but when they spoke, they listened to. They listened. Yeah, because so, uh, if you if your father could probably confirm this, I remember from watching the games and reading the paper. Pete Vesey, legendary sports writer, used to always say, while Isaiah was the best player on that team, Joe Dumas was the leader of that team. I would say so. Yeah, he wasn't the flashy. He wasn't the uh, big character, the big ego like an Isaiah Thomas, or he wasn't the uh, the villain like a Bill Lambeer or anything, or Rick Mahorn, but he was the quiet leader and he was a gentleman, and and he stuck with that team for years. He and went from as soon as he quit, he goes into the front office and leads the team to another championship. He should have led up to three or four if he would have drafted yes. Carmelo Anthony, but that's a story for another. That's that's a whole different story. Day. And oh, by the like- way, uh, uh, today when we're recording, Christoph Porzingis is one of the biggest busts in the history of the NBA. He got traded again. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and he got traded crazy? to NBA Purgatory, the Washington Wizards. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> they. There's your mediocre franchise right there. Oh my God, this guy—he's making—he's making a mountain of money. Uh, once again, the Knicks accidentally make the right move by letting. In the last, anybody who knows me, you've been listening to the program. You know I'm a long time, a lifelong native New Yorker. Uh, the Knicks have made a lot of mistakes. Dolan has made a ton of mistakes. Mm-hmm. He's horrible. He's just a horrible owner. Uh. But the two biggest uh, things they accomplished were by accident. Trading Porzingis and the media ripped them, but they did the right thing because Porzingis is never going to be healthy, right? Never. Nope. And not giving Jeremy Lin the big contract he wanted because why the fuck am I going to pay you for a two-week miracle run? Get the fuck out of here. Exactly. <laughs> Go find and a soccer league. He wanted to play for eight teams the rest of his career. <laughs> exactly. It was just a... Hype for a few weeks and other oh, once, yeah. once the teams saw film and adjusted, they shut his they shut that miracle shit down. Yeah. We had a few I, players like that with the Tigers back in the day. It was like Chris Shelton, Brennan Bosch, guys that took the guys. Hey, that what was that? Started. What was that relief pitcher you had that threw a hundred miles per hour? But it was always was his name Matt Anderson. What was that guy's name? Uh, well, he was one of them. He was a big draft pick in the nineties, and he threw a hundred miles per hour. But, but it was always straight down the middle. It was straight. All you had to do was time that shit. I mean, yep. I'm sure that the streets behind right. Tiger Stadium were littered with baseballs that were knocked out the park. And then he had 
I've I thought I remember reading that he had hurt his arm throwing an octopus at Tiger Stadium because that was back when the Wings were winning Stanley Cups, and there oh, someone tossed God. an octopus on the field as they oh. and again Joel Zumaya is another one back in 2006. There's another flamethrower they had that ran into injury issues. And you guys had a relief pitcher. Man, I forgot his name. He helped. Uh, he helped. He helped. Uh, Florida Marlins, now the Miami Marlins, won a championship with Pudge. And I think he came over to Detroit with Pudge. Wallace. What was his name? Uh, he went to. Wallace, or are you talking about Andrew Miller? No, 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 not them. The, this he. Uh, God damn, I forgot his name. He uh. His mother got kidnapped, and he macheted the guy who kidnapped his. Oh, Ugetherbina. Yeah, Ubina. I mean, yep. I think they, he's still riding him prison. away. Yeah, yeah, they traded him away for Plasto Polanco, and that stabilized the uh, up the middle. And yeah. That's one of the big reasons why they won that pennant in 06. And, and, and which was a great move, also because he wound mm-hmm. up going to prison. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's he, he's where he belongs. Oh man, go ahead, continue. So with that, Barry. Retirement again. He's not the type of guy to call a big press conference. He basically faxed his uh, retirement announcement to the Wichita Eagle, his home, his home newspaper, on the day on the eve of training camp, and he basically said, "My desire to exit the game is greater than my desire to remain in." He has no regrets, and it was a wonderful experience to play in the NFL. So, as imagine me, I am. I say this is 1998. I'm like about 16 years old. And watching this guy play is my favorite player, and you're just shocked. Like, oh, this this guy's serious because he went off. The, he didn't just retire; he jumped on a plane to go off to England just to get away from it all. And they, oh, now what are we gonna do? Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. They have never replaced this man. No, they haven't had. Think about Matthew Stafford. They talk about his time with the Lions, and some people like to give Matthew Stafford. Uh, some he had no renegade. He had, he had no renegade. Reggie Bush, one year they had had a thousand yards. That's it. He's had so much. He had so much garbage at running back. Very similar to Dan Marino with the Dolphins. Yes. Yep. Dan Marino never had a premier running back. And I know Reggie Bush is a legendary college football player. It's a crime that they made him give away his Heisman because, yep. God damn it, he earned every fucking penny putting USC back on the map. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that they can pay players, they should just give it back to him. That's bullshit. You know what's they, funny, Brent? He works that? for USC, but but they made him give away his Heisman. I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand that. Anyway, backtrack. Other than that one year, and Bush wasn't a great pro running back. He was a solid no. pro running back. He was, was a great college running back. You want to say him and Barry were on the same level, college football wise? Yes, they're on that same level. You could make an argument. So. You could make an argument for either one being the greatest running back in college football history. Uh, NFL, he he did nothing with the Saints, ladies and gentlemen. Right? No, he, he didn't. He did absolutely nothing with the Saints. And that was when Drew Brees was there, so it's not like he was playing on some um, bad exactly. Saints team. Exactly, he was on great. He was on the Super Bowl championship with the team. Yep. All right. So, uh, other than that one year he had, they had nothing at running back. So, uh, hmm. so uh, they never replaced, they never replaced Barry Sanders. And to this day, they haven't had a running back in the same universe as Barry Sanders. Yeah, uh, they when I they, think, 
I don't think they're ever going to win until they get somebody like him. To be honest with you, they uh, they're so up against it after he left that they had to make a you know they made a trade with St. Louis and got Greg Hill, who was you know okay, oh, nothing he special. He was okay. He's nothing special. Yeah. No. And 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 and, and uh, what did St. Louis do? As soon as they got rid of him, they went and got from the Colts, Marshall Falk. Yep, and then they take off in the stratosphere. You know, it's so, crazy, right? I'm a huge Saints fan. I lived in New Orleans for three years in the late 80s when I went to Loyola University. Mm-hmm. The the Colts for one year, I believe, had the two greatest players to ever come out of New Orleans, Peyton Manning and Marshall Falk. Uh, I wish that could have worked because they would have won championships together. I uh, and you know what? Then they the, get Edron James, uh, wasn't it? They shortly they got they Edron, up Edron James, James right after they traded. Right after they traded Marshall Falk, they drafted Edgar James. Yep. So I and mean, then, they both had similar careers. So I you can't argue with with that. Uh, so and, and the Rams desperately needed a running back. So uh, I understand the trade the Colts made, and I think there was bickering between Falk and Manning because. Uh, I think she wanted the ball more. Peyton wanted to throw the ball more. Yep. So that's understandable. But I would have loved to have seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, two New Orleans cats winning championships together. All right. So he retired. Never uh, has. How's his relationship with the Lions organization today? It was strained at first because the Lions. I don't know why they do this. They forced Barry to to give back uh, part of his signing bonus. And it kept his rights, and really did he write it? Didn't he write them a check for five million dollars? Yep, he had to cut him a check, and that was the same thing that happened with Calvin Johnson. I don't know why they do this. You're an NFL franchise; you're worth billions. Stop being so petty with your superstar players. The Fords are worth, I don't know, fifteen, twenty billion dollars. These motherfuckers are wealthy. Yeah, even if you what's have what's five million dollars? Yeah, do you see Indianapolis doing this with uh, Andrew Luck? Do you see the Steelers doing this with a, with a Roethlisberger? No, no. The, the Saints do that with Breeze? No, they. No, no. These are great players. Even with Andrew Lux, who just had to retire early, they said, you know, keep it. Thank you for what you've done. The Lions do this for some reason. Do this to their star players, Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders. They they get petty, and they eventually mend the defenses with uh, Barry Sanders. And Barry said the most trouble he had was with Chuck Schmidt, who he referred to as the bean counter, mm. and who had favorites. And once he was out of the picture, he started to come back in unofficial capacity as an ambassador. And it's funny, you look at the book. Back then, it was probably Have made Have they retired sense. his number yet? Um, they ha- If they haven't retired, they've at least honored it, because you know, we have three two Hall of Famers and one that should have been a Hall of Famer that right. wore that number in their right. franchise. you got Lem Barney, the great cornerback, Hall of Famer. Barry Sanders, one of the greatest running backs ever, Hall of Famer. And Billy Sims, who his knee didn't give out in Minnesota, would have been mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. So I think that you'll never see that number worn again. Well, who would want to wear that number? Imagine the yeah. running back, you a running nope. back or, or a cornerback, and they try and give you number twenty. I said, no, no, don't give me that. No, no. no pressure, kid. Just the three. No pressure, young man. Just the two of the greatest running backs and one of the greatest cornerbacks who ever lived wore this number. So yeah, knock yourself out. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm glad. So I'm glad. Uh, uh Barry yeah. mend his fences with the organization, yep. and like like you said, my opinion, the most selfless NFL superstar outside of Walter Payton. Yep. 
that ever lived. Now, I'm going to ask you a question I ask everybody else, and I want you to start from number five. I always ask my co-host for the episode a top five in your lifetime, and I'm talking about since 1994, since you started watching the Lions. Name me your five greatest Lions of that lifetime. I know who number one is, and yes. I know who number two is. So basically, yep. you're going to tell me five, four, and three. Start with five. Okay, start with five. I'm going to say at number five, I'm going to say it's Chris Spielman. He was a heart and soul at defense back mm-hmm. in the 90s. Came out, came out of Ohio State. So you think, all right, he's the enemy because he's coming into Michigan. Right, right. And right. he's the heart and soul. They should never have let that guy go. Another example of uh, bean counting yep. and not, not taking care of your star players. Um, number four, I'm going to have to say, I'm going to say Herman Moore. Great ride receiver from West, from Virginia. Mm-hmm. And if you don't count Kelvin, until Kelvin Johnson came along, he was the Lions' greatest receiver ever. Yeah, yeah. And not really talked about in this day and age. He had a, had some big seasons. Fortunately, he kind of ran into injury problems toward the end of his career. But always, you can always. And, and imagine, if you had a, imagine if you had a real quarterback throwing him the ball. Yeah, imagine if you had a Matt Stafford throwing it to him. The guy would rewrite the record books. Mm-hmm. Number three, I'm going to say, is Matt Stafford. By mm-hmm. far the best quarterback I've seen the Lions had in my lifetime. I've been I was born in '82. Like I said, I've seen a lot of a lot of uh, garbage come through under center, <laughs> and I still hear all those stories about Gary Danielson and Eric Kippel and you know Eric Kippel saying, "Well, I think I have great leadership dude, great leadership qualities." And Monty Clark responding, "Yeah, you you have the same leadership qualities as Curly Howard of the Three Stooges." I wanna yeah. I wanna talk about it uh, a game that I watched as a 14 year old boy, my brother, Thanksgiving yeah. Day, 1982. Brett and I have <laughs> talked about it many times. Yep. The Lions have a seven to three lead late in the fourth quarter, and they're driving. Who calls a play for Gary Daniels in the dog screen pass? All they have to do is give the ball to Billy Sims. Exactly. Goes he just punches it pass. in to probably win that game. You score a touchdown. That Giants hot offense was hard. That that Giant team in 1982 went three and six. All right, that was one of their three wins. That was a strike year. Right. Mm, he okay. goes back to throw a screen. LT takes it and goes 97 yards for the game-winning touchdown. <laughs> Gary Danielson came in that game at halftime and threw three interceptions. As like, <laughs> my dad always refers to. He calls it Brother Gary stats. And really what it is, is like 20 for 30, 200 yards, zero touchdowns, and two costly interceptions. That's typical oh, Gary Danis' stats. <laughs> even, heard... even, a, even a field goal would have guaranteed a win because the Giants yeah. only had three points. They're not going the length of the field to score a touchdown. That uh, highlight they're... I've shared of that game where basically Lawrence Taylor won that game. The way he... I have... I have seen two. The Lawrence Taylor is the only defensive player that I've ever seen, and I talked about this. You guys can go back to the archives and look at the Lawrence Taylor episode I did. Uh, he's the only defensive player I've ever seen in my lifetime, Brent, that never mind won one game by himself on on defense, but two games, and they both happened on a Thanksgiving weekend, Thanksgiving <laughs> Day, nineteen eighty two, against the Lions. Yep. where he battered Gary Danielson all game long, 
Sacked him with one hand. Sacked him with one hand. <laughs> with a lineman draped all over. Is that the one where he, he just dragged him to the – oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, reached around the lineman and just ragged out Danielson down to the ground. <laughs> and then he takes the, it takes it to the house 97 yards for the game-winning touchdown interception. And Thanksgiving, the Sunday night after Thanksgiving, Sunday night football, 1988, I attended this game in New Orleans. Saints versus the Giants. This is a huge game because both teams are battling for the postseason. And Lawrence Taylor has a dislocated shoulder. And what does he do? Cause, causes a fumble, two and a half sacks. They win the game. Yep. <laughs> and they probably, I think the Saints at that point had uh, Bobby Abair at quarterback, right? Yeah, he was the quarterback that year. And that, their Bobby Abair by far was the best quarterback to play in the state of Michigan during the 1980s because he was Michigan Panthers quarterback. They won a championship. Yep. And, th- Tells you what the sorry history the state of Michigan has had for professional football. Our last pro football championship was a USFL team. But by the way, they still, the Panthers have been gone since 84. They still have more playoff wins than the Lions do since 1957. That's, that's, that's two that's, to one. That's, that's great. And, and, your, and, your, and your Michigan Panthers coach was Jim Mora, who was the Saints coach for many years. And then his son was the coach, Jim Mora Jr. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You didn't know Jim Mora Jr. was a coach for several years in the NFL, was a head coach. All right, yep. I remember he Jim Mora Jr., yep. Jim Moore, he was the Falcons head coach when Michael Vick was uh, one of the biggest stars in the NFL. All right, mm-hmm. number two. I know who number, number two, two is. Got to be Calvin Johnson. It's Calvin Johnson. I mean, the things he did. They called him Megatron here, and he did. It's amazing. You throw it up anywhere, he's going to catch it. The numbers he put up with him and Stafford as a as – a, Stafford to Megatron, probably one of the greatest quarterback-to-receiving duels I ever saw that did not win because they didn't have much to work with themselves. And Calvin came that before. Would be, that would be right up there with uh, Brady to Moss because those years yeah. Brady didn't win with, with Moss. Yeah, and you think about it, I mean, Calvin came before. And he was, I think, with the number two pick. It was after Jamarcus Russell went to the, went to the uh, Raiders. And you know what? And then, you know, it's funny, right? The, the the Lions up until that point could never draft a big-time quarterback in the draft. If it's reversed and the Lions get Jamarcus Russell, <laughs> you would have <laughs> never had Matt Stafford, and you'd had even worse. You would have even had whoa, worse seasons than what happened. So, oh, thank you, Raiders, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and Calvin put up the big numbers with guys – and beforehand, before Stafford, he had quarterbacks like John Kitna and uh, washed up uh, Dante Culpepper and oh, God. and Dan Orlovsky, who's best John known for running out of the back of the end zone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah. once Stanford got there, that was a great one-two punch. You know, oh, yeah. I don't blame Calvin Johnson for retiring while yeah. he while he was in his prime. He was getting he was getting beat up by the by the safeties and corners out there going up uh, around the middle. It was you know. Your health comes first, all right? People like to say, I've heard people on social media, and social media is what it is. But uh-huh. I usually I hear people say, that, well, Kelvin quit on the Lions. Of course the Lions should demand their money back. It's like, the guy retired. He hasn't played since. He was he retired early enough where the Lions could get in and find replacements. Right, right. So it's, this isn't quitting. This is retiring. And again, don't be And petty. people Just don't understand the punishment that a wide receiver face. Even now... Yeah. When they've 
when they basically banned helmet to helmet shots, still the punishment their back, their legs take. I their mean, hands. Their hands. Yep. Uh, oh, forget it. You know, they, they, their feet. They're running at full speed all game. Mm-hmm. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. They're not linemen who are lined up and they don't have to go more than a yard or two. They just got to block the dude in front of them, right? Yep. They're, they're, they have to get open or they're going on routes that, that, that require maximum speed because the corner that's covering them is as fast as not, if not faster. Wide receiver is a very, di- especially when you're a wide receiver like a Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Andre Johnson, Calvin Johnson, yep. right? Where, or Larry Fitzgerald, where they're throwing the ball to you 12 to 15 times a game. The punishment is ridiculous. And that's if you get why, thrown over the middle and you get a blindside hit. There you go. That's why uh, I can never, ever criticize a wide receiver or a running back like a Barry Sanders who after years of punishment and sees that it's help, uh, that the team is helpless and hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. That's not uh, and I'm amazed by guys like Larry Fitzgerald and Jerry Rice who – even up until the point where they retired, were incredible, credible wide receivers. When they retired, they were still better than uh, the majority of the of the players at their position. But no, actually, Larry Fitzgerald hasn't retired. He just hasn't been offered a contract. Yep, uh, he could still he play out better. Yeah, I think he could play till he's fifty. That dude's an incredible yeah. shape. There was like there's a there's a, the compare Fitzgerald to another sport, Chris Chelios in hockey. He played till he was like 48 years old, and he was still a dependable de- defenseman up wow. until then. Wow. When they when the Wings picked him up in 98, 99, and the talk was, oh, you traded prospects and draft picks for Chris Chelios. I'm thinking, you're getting Chris Chelios. If you get a few years out of the guy, you win. They yeah. end up playing 10 years with the Red Wings. So, How many championships you won in that time? Uh, they won two Stanley Cups. There 2002, you go. 2008. Yep. There you go. Was uh, Scotty Bowman the coach still? Uh, he was a coach up until 2002. He won the 2002 Stanley Cup and retired that year. Well, Scotty Bowman is a guy from when I was an Islander fan that was around. I mean, he, uh, cause he coached, uh, the Canadians. Yep. He coached the Canadians. He, he, uh, was the first coach of the St. Louis blues and mm-hmm. helped got them to the finals when they had no chance because they're a bunch of cast offs against the great oh, Canadians. No, uh, if you put a gun to my head. As you know, uh, I'd say Scotty was the greatest coach in history in NHL. That you're a master coach, master, yes. master coach, and um, yep. man, the, the Red Wings had an incredible run when he was their coach. All right, yes, it did. Number one, we talked about him the entire podcast. Yep. It Matthew is Sanders. Your final words before we finish today, before we end this yep. podcast, on the greatest Detroit Lion. That ever lived. Yeah. Never mind. It, it was an easy one. It wasn't going to be Joey Harrington. It is Barry Sanders. <laughs> I mean, the the greatest running back I ever saw. The heart and soul of that franchise, the Lions. They haven't replaced him since. No matter how bad the Lions were or how good they were, he was just you know fifteen hundred yards, bunch of touchdowns. You know, if he had only had played with an organization that could build a winner. They'd be, he'd be the, he'd have all sorts of rings because it wasn't his fault the Lions couldn't get over the hump. Yeah. But they, he, they, 
they could never get him that big time quarterback that he needed. Nope. That we're in a, we're we're, we're in an era right now, ladies and gentlemen, and this has been going. If you look at the last, god damn it, it's been a long time since the team only won with a great running back. You need a quarterback, uh, or a great defense. Like the Ravens didn't win with a great quarterback back in two thousand, but they yeah. had one of the greatest defenses that ever lived with Ray Lewis and that that incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, they won with up, Trent Delfer. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, he, who's probably the worst quarterback to ever win the Super Bowl. But other than that, look at all the teams that have won in uh, Brady, Roslinberger, uh, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning. You have to have a uh, you have a great card. You uh, with like I said before, we don't know who won the Super Bowl. You know, because you're listening to this uh, a month after the Super Bowl has has already happened, but. The, t- the two participants in this year's Super Bowl are big-time quarterbacks Yep. in uh, Stafford and Burrow. Uh, and Burrow is Burrow going to have done. If Burrow stays healthy, he's going. He's a surefire Hall of Fame all-time great. Stafford, if Stafford won, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's, yep. uh, Brent thinks he's going to play another four years, so he's going to the Hall of Fame. Because he's going to put say, up monster numbers, right? Yeah, I would say if Joe Burrow, he could, he's going to rewrite the record book if they get an offensive line around that guy. I don't know if he could rewrite the record book because he's 26 years old. Oh, he's already 26 years old? He was drafted. He was 24. He started college late. I don't know. If, He'll be the greatest if, quarterback at the Bengals have had. I'll say that. Because You know what? That's not fail. saying much because no. a boomer was overrated. Uh, Ken, Anderson. Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson was solid, but he was never, you know, he was never a top tier quarterback. He was a solid quarterback. And, and Boomer, Carson Palmer. Yeah, and Boomer had a MVP season. That's because Joe Montana had an off year that year, and you could have made an argument Jerry Rice should have been the MVP that year. Carson Palmer is your perfect quarterback that you need not to make mistakes. All right, mm-hmm. he's a he's a good handler of a game, but he can't win a game with his arm. Like a Brady or a Manning or a Drew Brees could, all right? Uh, Burrow can win you a game with his arm and his legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't know. We don't know what happened, but I hope it was a great game. All right? just, I hope it's just like the playoffs have been. I'll say that. And I'm and and like you, Brett, I'm rooting for Matthew Stafford because yep. Burrow's going to have a lot of opportunities. With that young Bengal squad and him only being twenty six year old, this this Stafford, uh, you got to take advantage of when you get your opportunities. Because even though we think he's going to be competitive for the next four years, one injury at his age and is over. So, yep, I'm going to be rooting for Matthew Stafford. And I, you know what, you know what, I'm seeing a lot of Detroit Lion love. For Matthew Stafford, yes. a lot of Detroit Lion fans are rooting for Stafford like it's the Lions in the Super Bowl. I appreciate that. It's They're like not- when Verlander went to the World Series with the Astros. A lot of people are cheering for the Astros until you found out they were cheating. But a lot of people were pulling for Verlander once he went to Houston and say, "Okay, go get that ring for us." All right, before I wrap this up, that's you, this is a great segue. I I'm going to have you on again in May to do Mike Bossy, my all-time favorite yes. hockey player. But before then. I might have you back on in April because I haven't been doing enough baseball. I've only done one baseball podcast so far on my Legends of Sports and, and uh, Music podcast. Um, I want to do an episode either on Miguel Cabrera 
or Justin Verlander. You're the perfect guy to have on because you've seen their entire run with the Tigers, mm-hmm. right? So uh, Miguel Cabrera or Justin Verlander will be talking. When did you first start watching the Detroit Tigers? Oh, it was probably 93. So it was the first year Illich owned the team. And you got to remember, with the ti- if you're a Tigers fan, the 90s were awful. Yeah, up, okay. to, up and through 2003. So, All right, so it's so we got it. So we so it's got to be either Verlander or Cabrera because uh, yep. those not you you uh, when you first started watching it was Cecil Cecil Fielder and a bunch of bums. All right, yeah. Cecil Fielder, <laughs> Mike Henneman, Travis Fryman, and that's pretty much it. The '93 season was fun, but because they hit a lot of home runs, yeah. but they had no pitching. And but they had, after they had that, no from the pitch. '90s. It was just brutal. What a way to waste years. But, you know, the Tigers, the Tigers are uh, of the two, since 2006, the Tigers are the equivalent of the Buffalo Bills early 90s run where they had these great teams that could Mm -hmm. never get over the top. How many times have you got, man, I felt bad for Verlander Cabrera because they did all they could and they, It was that uh, the biggest issue with that team from that run. Miguel was Cabrera, there. who are first or who are both first ballot Hall of Famers if they retire. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right? Biggest issue with those Tigers teams, and not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but the biggest yeah. issue with that Tigers team was the bullpen. They had we'll so many gas we'll cans in that. We'll we'll talk about it. We will talk yep. about it. And I love Jim Leyland, uh, one of my top five managers I've ever seen. It's a damn shame he didn't get to be one of the few managers to win championships in both leagues because yep. he great sparky manager did it. Yep. it's sparky it's sparky and larusa are the only two to have done yep. it. All, right. all right big man i appreciate you coming on i'm gonna have you on at least two more times in the next few months we'll be talking either verlander or cabrera and of course the legendary greatest new york islander of all time Yes. The Islanders haven't been the same since they retired. I know they've had a recent resurgence, but you know what? Nothing matches those four for four teams back in the early eighties. Brent, thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon, man. You had a lot of people that were mad at Barry. We're talking about Barry and uh, his reputation, whether it's ruined for good in this town. I've got an email right here that says, until yesterday, OJ was my least favorite NFL runner, but he only stabbed two people in the back. The way he walked away, knowing what you know now about the game, how it can affect you, does this decision to walk away look smarter to you? He was a show. I mean, one of the greatest shows in NFL, if not the greatest show in NFL history I've ever seen. Sanders less than 1,500 yards shy of breaking Peyton's career rushing record. So barring injury, this was really just a matter of time before the record was buried. Everybody missed him on the single All 11 of us missed him. Barry Sanders was the absolute hardest out. Period. What a job, Barry. This is the best back in football. We were pretty good for three quarters of the game. Final second, third quarter. And then Barry did what Barry does to everybody and broke up. Sanders on the draw. Longest run of the game, and he's in the clear. You almost had to stop what you were doing just to see what Barry's going to do because you know he was going to do something amazing. Barry Sanders is over 2,000 yards on that carry. Sometimes you just got to look to the heavens and say, wow. The coach 
just didn't even get mad about his missing. Harry again off the right side, breaks one tackle to the 40, fights free! Because he was just that good. They knew from time to time he was going to put you on a highlight. That's a long handoff to Barry. Anybody else would not have had the first down. He jukes, makes a good cut, and he leaves people out there getting hurt just trying to uh, slide and move around with him. Barry spins oh, free, wow. touchdown, wow. Lions! Wow. Barry Sanders with a move that Mikhail Barishnikov couldn't make. Barry Sanders has the best runs for losses in NFL history. can say 1920 and you can say 2012 he will still be best running back in the nfl any given time that is the back of the league that can do that nobody else can do that before about how it looks like barry sanders has ball bearings in his ankles barry sanders can be very very dangerous nothing new england matthews in motion right Turned around a defensive back about three times. Wow. The guy is trying to tackle him, but he's got a back to Barry because he can't find him. He'll take it. Here's a touchdown, Lions. Holy mackerel, what a run by Barry Sanders. That is one of the more incredible runs that you will ever see. This is ridiculously big time. And it wasn't like he was playing behind all pros there. This wasn't the Dallas Cowboys yeah. and Emmitt Smith. So Barry Sanders had to create Barry his again judge. off the right side, breaks one tackle. I've never seen a runner do that in my life other than Barry Sanders. Unbelievable. 43-yard hey. run. Only Barry Sanders. You can think that you've got him plugged up for a little while, and then he just busts that one. That I attended the last Detroit Lions playoff victory, because I was covering the Dallas Cowboys, and I looked it up, it was January the 5th, 1992. That was 22 years ago. 22 years since the Lions won a playoff game, and could you have imagined that night if I told you, Barry, this franchise won't win another playoff game until I don't know when, because we still don't know when. And he bounces off to the 40. He made them like straight up fools. <laughs> Classic Sanders, he's taking it in. And there are five white-shirted cowboys lying on the field, gasping for breath. Some would consider the greatest running back of all time. You look at Barry, you want to just stand still. You hope he won't get by you because he'll put a move on you. When you stopped Barry, you were amazed that you did. When you didn't, you were amazed by what he did. Off to the races, 40, 50. 40 down the right sideline, high step of the bit to the 20, the 15, to the 10, to the 5, touchdown. You, know, you think about what Barry was able to accomplish and think about what he was able to do for his organization. Like trying to catch a cricket with your bare hands. 